This week, a new challenger approached, <laughs> and comics are joined by yet a new publisher, this one called Distillery, or should I say DST. Wait, hold on. I got to pull it up. D-S-T-L-R-Y yeah. is the name of the publishing company, yeah. and they are shaking things up. It's a who's who of creators with big promises, but can they deliver? We have all the news about Distillery. We've got quotes. We've got interviews. We've got everything. We are going to be talking about that and diving into it very shortly. Now, if you are watching live, you may have noticed that the four are joined. Last week, we had Jeff Johns on the show. And there's only one way that we could have topped that. Whoa, that's, whoa. That's, that's by hitting up our boy. <laughs> That's by bringing on the hardest working man in comics. None other than Victor Dandridge. Victor, yo, how are yo. you doing, my brother? Wow. I'm, I'm I'm well, but wow. Yo, don't don't say that. Me and Jeff are guys. Like that's my that's my man's. I I can't don't say you can get me in trouble with Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> no, big We're mutuals to, now. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say big shout out to Jeff Johns because he is he's probably one of the most down to earth creators that I've ever met. Um, that doesn't have to be, you know what yep. I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yep. considering the things that he's done and his inroad into the game, like, he should be somebody absolutely untouchable. And literally, the first time I met him was um, at a Fan Expo Chicago last year, like, like officially met him. Like, I'd seen him before and taken a picture with him. That doesn't count. But to like talk to him, talk to him, I was like, hey, you know, do you check out anybody's indie work? And he's like, absolutely. Here's my number. Text me. And I'm like, <laughs> What? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Like that sort of makes that's who I want to be like when I get when I get grown. That makes me feel less special that we have it now. (laughs) No, 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 no. Listen, listen. Because I think one of the the, the key things is if you have to first be willing to talk to him. You have to get over the idea that you can't talk to him. And then he will reward you with, you know, some cool interaction, some contact stuff. So very awesome guy though. Very awesome guy. Incredibly kind. So uh, before we get into the distillery talk, I want to talk to you all about Victor Dandridge, because Victor, of course, is a veteran of this podcast, veteran of a comic book writer, but also a comic book publisher. Mm-hmm. And and I actually have the timing is remarkable. I actually have. Oh, and you'll see in a moment the product of a recent Kickstarter that Victor Dandridge did. Uh, which is the Wonder Care Presents Kinder Guardians book from the mm. Vantage in-house imprint, which is, of course, Victor's very own imprint. Um, I can't wait to dig into this. This is perfect for kids. I'm going to yes. make sure to get that in close on the screen there. Um, this is perfect for kids. I think, does this work book? I feel like you might have mentioned. That one is the second trade paperback. So it's got uh, stories in it. It's got comic strips in it. Um, the biggest thing that I love about it is it's what I call library friendly. So it actually has follow up review questions you for you to answer um, to help encourage kids in their their comprehension skills. So we don't want you just to have a book and possibly read the book, but we want to make sure that you're understanding what you're reading and enjoying that process along the way. There's like a pop quiz at the back. I mean, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like I, we, I like that. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. I think, I think media literacy is a big thing. So that's it right there. Yeah. That's it right there. Yes. 
Yes. And we're, we're trying to play around with different things because in order to take the quiz, you use a QR code. So we're integrating oh, cool. technology into, you know, physical print material, because I think that's the wave of the future. You know, being able to marry those two things is how you're going to get readers of tomorrow. There should be media, media literacy quizzes at the end of X-Men books so people understand what the X-Men are trying to, to talk about nowadays. <laughs> they Who's have them. They're just, now? <laughs> they're just written in Krakowin. That's the uh, problem. True. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, got a, I got a snazzy uh, bookmark, which is pretty yes, cool. I, love, um, yes, I yes. love this. And then it actually has a little bit more story there as well. So yeah, it's yeah, getting cool. a lot of value out of it. Um, mm-hmm. And then do you mind if I flip through this? Like, can I no, show please, some pages? Please, please do. Awesome. Please do. So big shout out to Justin Castaneda, uh, my co-creator on this series. And look at that beautiful art from Justin Castaneda. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a great looking book. And I think this this would probably play really well in the book fair market. Are you penetrated in that? So I'm not yet. Um, what we are aiming for, which is going to be the craziest thing, um, we're going to do a subscription service. Um, our aim is either starting late this year or early next year, where it's it's about taking the individual issues of the kindergartians and giving you a multi-format piece so that when you get a monthly package, you're getting the book in multiple formats that are shareable. So you'll definitely get the comic book. That's number one. We're going to give you um, trading cards that is going to feature the you know cover of the book there. Um, it's going to have a QR code on the back that'll take you to a digital version of the comic. So you could share it with a friend who doesn't have the physical book. Um, that's going to be a huge thing for us because we want that word of mouth. And there's also that level of collectability. Um, if I can figure it out between now and then we're going to turn it into a game. Like there's going to be cards that have higher values. There's going to be sketch cards that, you know, are, um, featuring a particular, uh, comic on the back, but it's blank on the front. Like we're going to have like an entire, uh, industry model using uh, trading cards along with that. We're also going to do, um, kind of an early reader chapterized version of the comics. So we're going to take the artwork, use those as spot illustrations and just use prose to showcase what the story is. So you're going to get it in at least three different, you know, formats so that no, no matter what, you're getting the story however you like to. There's some kids that, you know, would prefer comics, there's some kids that don't prefer comics. There's mm-hmm. kids that prefer, you know, web comics. We're going to get everybody. That's the goal. I love it. I think the the idea of like that shareability makes a lot of sense because if, if mm-hmm. you have it in those multiple formats, like I've definitely been in a situation where I'm like, oh, you should read this book, but my friend has it, right? And now it's like, oh, I have this format. I have this physical. I have this version. Like I can mm-hmm. be as flexible, one, to your point on the individual and the way that they consume media, but also I just have backups. Right, right. And like I said, the big thing for us is looking at collectability. Pokemon is still such a huge phenomenon and I haven't seen anybody use comics in a way that taps in the same market space. So, like, literally, how amazing would it be to have a um, nine-card set that creates a cover? Like, maybe it's a variant cover, and you need all nine cards in order to get it. So now people have a reason to get multiple versions of this thing. And if they get one that, oh, I already have that one, then you can give it to a friend. You can share that, and we're getting more readers. But the, at the same time, the, the presence of the kindergartens grows. So you're saying nine cards mm-hmm. that essentially make up a cover broken out into the cards, almost as panels. Sounds like Tom King's wet yeah. dream. Uh, you have, <laughs> you have, you have our, our listeners um, pretty interested right now. Uh, we're live and there's several people saying they're interested. Uh, uh, Harris says, 
wait, did I just hear trading cards? You had my interest. Now you have my attention. And yes. so if, if Victor has your attention, then let's now turn over to the big bundle. Yes. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about the big bundle. It. Let's talk about the big bundle. Ooh. So the big bundle's up on Kickstarter right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys can get that. It's 10 comics, six titles from Vantage in-house. Um, talk to us about this. All right. So the biggest thing that anyone needs to understand is the impetus behind the big bundle. In 2021, I signed a first look deal with AHA Media. That means anything that I print and publish uh, is up for development. So it could be picked. It could be next in line. It could be the Kindergartens. It could be the Samaritan. It could be any of these things. And so in order to give them a full roster of content to pull from, I decided that I need to publish a lot of stuff right away because there's a lot of media moves that are happening these days. Like um, as the MCU is trying to figure out what they're going to do, as DC is trying to figure out what they're going to do, um, there's room for an indie creator that has a nice you know, range of content to kind of come up in the ranks and be a big player. And recognizing that, I'm like, okay, the Vantage In-House shared universe is a thing. Uh, when we originally started uh, publishing in 2000, or, I'm sorry, 2011, uh, each book was meant to be a standalone series, like all on its own. You can read it, love it, put it down, and you're done. But along the way, we started seeing that there were ties that we could connect different titles and then start to build this shared universe. And that now has become one of the biggest primary factors for um, IPs getting optioned is franchise opportunity. So we want to take full advantage of that. So uh, with the last uh, Kickstarter with the Kindergartians, that was the end of VIP phase one. So those are uh, the original four titles, uh, The Samaritan that we started off everything with, Origins Unknown, The Trouble with Love, and uh, The Kindergartians. So VIP Phase 2 has already launched. We have uh, sequels. So we start off with Never Too Late, which is the sequel to The Trouble with Love. Uh, We have Point of Authority Family Ties, which is a sequel to one of the Origins Unknown stories. And we're going to continue telling those stories with the big bundle. So you will get the full closure of those titles with that. Um, that's issues two, three, and four of Never Too Late, and two and three of Point of Authority Family Ties. So we're wrapping up two stories within that big bundle, but then we're also launching four new titles. So we're going to bring in um, Wonders of the Weird and Beyond, which is my love letter to the Fantastic Four. Um, we have this amazing family called the Wonders, and it's this, you know, uh, Dr. Wonder is, you know, world's greatest, you know, inventor. He's this crazy scientist, you know, lovable dad, uh, great husband. No superpowers, though. I do want to specify that. No superpowers. Um, we have Mrs. Wonder, who is like the world's best fighter. And I want to play with the idea of having the, the, the tough person on the team be a woman. And what does that look like? Especially if you're looking in animal culture, um, you know, the, the male lion is, is a beast. Absolutely. We get enough female lions together and he backs down because he knows better because they're the ones that hunt. They're the ones that actually bring in the food. They do all that stuff. So there's levels that I want to play around with what our social archetypes are. Um, When it comes to their sons, Young Wonder, world's greatest detective, um, he's smart in a way that his father's not smart. And I love playing around the idea that there's different levels of intelligence that, you know, you can showcase. There's things that his dad can do wonderfully, build a device easily. His father cannot beat his own father in chess. He doesn't know how. He can't think in that way. But Young Wonder can. He he actually, there's a story, I'm going to give you exclusive. There's a short story that's coming up in the second issue of that that's a Father's Day present. And in this one, Young Wonder gives his father instructions on how to beat his grandfather in chess. He just writes it out for him, and that's his gift. Like, that's the scale of thinking that Young Wonder can do. And then, of course, there's Kid Wonder, 
the baby of the group who is world's best acrobat uh, pilot. Like he's that kid that just has no quit all go and just does amazing things. That's wonders of the weird. Um, if you are paying attention, if you notice there are two titles that I have in my imprint that have the word wonder in it, they are absolutely connected. This is the family that once they retire from their superhero lifestyle, start wonder care where the kindergartens go to school. So mm. it all connects. It all connects. Um, we have Vantage, which is going to be my uh, flagship title. Huge implications of that one. It's going to be nuts. Uh, we have Gloriana Pax, which is this wonder wonderful uh, Wonder Woman style series where uh, we're talking about sister goddesses getting together, having this battle against an ancient darkness behind the scenes. But then another uh, goddess finds out that she wasn't invited to the party and feels a certain kind of way about it. And so this becomes this very sort of mythic fantasy-based kind of story, but set in modern times, which is a lot of fun. And then Inklings, uh, I'm really proud of Inklings. It is a way for people to catch up. Um, it's a reprint series. So basically we're taking, you know, different titles from phase one and repackaging them in small chunks um, as an anthology, but there's going to be new content built into it that kind of builds even more on the Vantage and House universe. So even as we're going back, we're giving you new stuff to build the future. Right. Well, sounds like you have a whole lot going on. And it's a big bundle, ain't it? <laughs> it is a big bundle, very big bundle. And uh, like we said, it is on Kickstarter right now. Um, there are five days left. So if you want to get in on the ground floor, that's definitely something you're going to want to do now. This is something that's going to help you kind of get a, a feel and a picture for what this vantage in-house universe looks like and all the characters mm -hmm. and players so you're going to want to take a look at this uh it is linked right now in the chat if you're watching live thank you um and will absolutely be linked everywhere um post live so um, yeah i'm putting it in the youtube description as we speak now awesome. now we're going to talk more about that stuff victor sure, sure. um but for limited time so i want to Pick your brain on the okay. main topic of the show today, which is the the new distillery publisher. So yes. this this news broke this week. Um and it's been all over the place. All of a sudden on Twitter, you had uh a who's who of creators mm -hmm. uh tweeting about this, um, saying that they're a part of this. Um, and so what is it? Uh well, everything broke on April 13th. We learned that two veterans of the industry uh, from Comixology, David Steinberger and Chip Mosher, uh, are the founders of Distillery, mm. uh, a new creator-owned publisher from the co-founder and former CEO, that's Steinberger, and the former head of content at Comixology, that's Chip Mosher. So these two worked hard to make Comixology what it was, the good version of it. Mm -hmm. They were on the ground floor with creators. They had to do with Comixology Originals, which was a program that allowed creators to make comics specifically and directly for the Comixology platform that was successful. Um, and so they know the know-how of digital comics. Who are they working with? Well, who are the creators? And when I say working with, I mean partnering with. Mm -hmm. I mean... There are founders. This is the list of the founding creators who will be um, the bedrock of distillery. So you have Ram V, Scott okay. Snyder, mm -hmm. James Tinian, Stephanie Phillips, Mark Bernardin, Brian Azzarello, Mirka, Mirka Andolfo, Elsa Chartier, 
uh, Lee Garbit, Becky Cloonan, Junko Mizuno, Jock, Joel Jones, Tula Lote, and Jamie McKelvey. Hmm. And to tie it all together, they found one editor to rule them all. Wow. And that's none other than Will Dennis, who is also a founding editor. So that's the that's the basic idea of it, right? Mm-hmm. Is all the creators that I just named and will all have shares, all are equity partners of this company okay. for the first time. So now Scott Snyder, Rom V, Becky Cloonan, Stephanie Phillips, these are owners of a comic book publisher. Mm. I have I have questions. I have oh, questions right off the gate. A lot of slices of the pie there. I have a lot there, of there, there are a lot of slices. There are a yeah. lot of slices. Uh, so, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right. Yeah. Let let me let me give a little bit more info before yeah, you guys yeah. uh so so um the founding creators and editors also own their IP, which is a major thing. So anything that they produce through distillery, they own. Okay. Whatever the result of that toys various merch they own that's that's Mm -hmm. that's all them i'm sure there's some type of profit sharing but you know they're they're involved with that um they will be producing both print and digital books uh print comics will be oversized there will be 48 page prestige books just like dc's black label stuff um they will Obviously, a higher price point, just like DC's Black Label, and they anticipate that that's going to satisfy retailers because every distillery book is going to have that eight nine dollar price point that we're already used to from Black Label. Mm-hmm. Um, digital has been a big point of contention for a lot of people. We're going to talk a lot more about that, but I will just give the facts. Digital will release day and date with physical, with an availability window of one week. After that, that issue will no longer be available to purchase from Distillery. But their closed digital aftermarket place will serve as a place for people to buy and sell their copies, digital copies, with incentives baked in, such as in-person events, uh, chats with creators, you know, physical or digital variant covers of the book that they own or future titles and things like that. There's a lot more information about that, but those are the general facts. Uh, The first release that we will see from them will be called The Devil's Cut, which is going to have self-contained stories from the founding creators. That's going to be available uh, right around San Diego Comic-Con. So we're talking, you know, July 20th through 23rd. Um, It will be available in comic shops around that time. So that's all the like front information that I think you guys need to talk about this. I have a whole interview that they did that I want to reference and a lot more information, but just early takes. What are you guys thinking about this? Victor, why don't you start? Well, okay. So obviously you're talking big name hitters and the, the first question mark comes, is this Substack Jr.? Like that's, that's the first question yeah. at hand here because Substack had – you know, huge investors, a lot of promise. And I don't know that it actually achieved 
anything of what they they aim to do. However, hearing that, um, and and I don't know if this is a continuing kind of concept, but this first bit being an anthology, um, that's what it sounds like, is put giving me very strong Shonen Jump vibes. And I mm-hmm. think that's something that is necessary to kind of capture the next market of readership where you're giving people more content um, for their money so that way they can start to decide where they want to go in support. Um, you know, every every manga that that is huge right now kind of got their start in a Shonen Jump-esque uh, uh, anthology style something in Japan. And once it was proven as viable over there, that's when we got it. So there is like a nice testing ground that is a part of that. And if something doesn't work, you ditch it and, you know, sorry, but that's just not it. Um, I don't know if that's something that's going to continue for them or if that's just something that they are launching everything with. I would love if it was something that they were going to continue with. Um, I think that would be a great thing. Um, The one thing that I would want to hear that I haven't yet is that there's a built-in mentorship platform with this, that these guys are looking at who are the next up-and-comers and trying to work with them to put them on in a space like this. Because I think that's one of the things that the Image Founders did well when they had their individual studios and they brought people up that are big names right after them because they got put on and that's that's the thing. You get that that's what the job is. Um, without hearing that, that's the thing that I'm like, I, I need to know that there is a, a reach back and lifting people up. And, and and I want to just say for the listeners, Victor is learning about this pretty much now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have not heard any of this yet. So all that was just off the top. And I think that that's, that's what happens when publishers, you know, that's what happens when creators who are in the mud, who are in the grind, hear this and they start to ask these questions like, okay, well, that's cool for the founders, right? Like they're all going to make their bank. They're all going to profit. That's wonderful. What about everybody else? And that's something we're mm-hmm. definitely going to talk about. The thing that jumped out to me, Sean, is the digital side of it. Digital trading smells a lot like Web3 NFT type stuff. Woohoo. Uh, and and we- I've read bits and pieces. Uh, Scott Snyder put out a, uh, a Substack note about yeah. it, and he specifically says it's not nfts right. yeah the the founders in the yeah. in the forbes article they mentioned like oh this is there's a lot of uh i swear this isn't nfts um like there's yeah. no blockchain or whatever which is like oh isn't the blockchain the the secure part of the nft like that's not the issue <laughs> um but yeah yeah i have a lot i have a lot more information about that but yeah, yeah. interesting uh that name sucks i thought it was yep, i thought it was, was pronounced dysentery I thought it was dysentery at first. I was like, "Oh, okay. interesting." <laughs> got that fucking yeah, you tumbler, want that? Got that fucking Tumblr vibe. Like. It 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 is very um, uh, 2015 new dating app kind of thing. Where it's like, all right, we don't yeah. do vowels. No vowels yeah. allowed. Well, okay. So intrinsically, who is this for? Because when you say distillery, you think beer, which means yeah, right? not yeah. for kids, and Brooklyn. so. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I'm curious. Like, who is who is this marketed to? Like, um, again, just to compare, because I'm bold enough to do it. To compare what I said that I want to do versus what they're talking about doing, um, I can see some correlations of multiple formats. But we're specifically aiming to capture the next generation of readers and creators because if we don't build that, it won't matter what you're building for the grownups because it'll go away just that quickly. So what are they doing to capture 
the next market of comics. Like if, if you don't have that in your in your game plan, you're screwing up. And that's that's not just publishers. I'm shouting out to retailers as well. Like if you guys aren't thinking about that, yeah. you're you're death knelling us. This does very much feel a little short sighted in the sense that it, it smells like, all right, we're making higher price point books that are a little, you know, a little a little a little beefier. But it, it smells like, all right, we're just trying to get that, you know, that market of disposable income people. Um, yeah. where that's where the money is right now, you know, right. uh, also like launching on like when right now, which is like, we're, we're constantly in, in the past couple of months been on the precipice of another recession. So like, yeah, interesting. Um, and Victor, Victor mentioned the first wave of the Substack stuff. This also, yeah. and maybe it's just because of his association to it, but this also smells to me like the comicsology Scott Snyder deals. Scott Tober. Mm-hmm. Scott Tober. Yeah. 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 I mean that was it's, that was pro- that was probably the proto version of this, really. Yeah, yeah, it stinks of it, and I just like I can't like get my head around like this is a gimmick. Uh, this is a gimmick that's mm. using Scott Snyder as a face, and this is going to lead to nothing. And mm. another thing that frustrates me about that <laughs> is these two guys built Comicsology from the ground up, right? Um, Steinberger was there from the inception, but I think Mosher came on a little later on. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. he was he was the originals guy. Um, but like, yeah, we need another comicsology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazon took it and fucking broke it. We need infrastructure, not a new bullshit publisher. <laughs> like, and everybody thought that Mosher and Steinberger were going to be working on that. Yeah, but they were actually working on a publisher. Uh, Marco, uh, what's your what's your take on all this so far, man? I think to the to what we've been saying about like the the names attached, like that's that's the weight right now. That is the draw. But once that charm melts away, then you know I think to Victor's point, what are you going to have? Well, oh yeah, I'm going to rotate this into the books that I pick up. You know, I have my what was it bad idea or whatever it came mm-hmm. out recently, right? Oh, AWA on. stuff. Yeah. yeah, like like so like what what is the value therein for me if I'm going to pick up check out a book or two. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what an independent person will do or what a writer will do or an artist will do in an independent space. Um, but then for that, go to an image where I have a name brand association where maybe they have a little bit more, I don't know what the marketing here is going to look like for the books themselves. I'm going to assume they're going to have to do all the work the same way you do anywhere else. But um, at the very least, you're tied to a publisher that has recognition. I think it's mm-hmm. interesting that they have share and investments into this because mm. then they have that much more of an incentive to really put in and put out good uh, good content and the list there is exceptional so i have no doubt that the books are going to be good um but i think if you're if you're just thinking about that content then you're the fat is going to be over once the first wave of books comes out um right what was the Kale, what was the the set of books that we did like reviews for? EKL. That's exactly EKL. what I was just thinking of. Yep. Yeah. Right. Like, like they they had their first wave. You know, Jeff Lemire. They had a whole bunch of people. I think. Um, I think Tula might have been there too. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. um, but then that's it. I haven't heard anything from them because they haven't had the success. The books hit. They were good, but they haven't had the success to carry them through the subsequent years. One of the other things that's like interesting, and this is probably specific to to you, Marco, but 
one of the uh they have a couple of big investors honestly so one of them is the um is Kodansha usa uh so Kodansha is an investor with them so they have a huge publishing line of manga right um so there's infrastructure there um Kodansha wow yeah yeah it's a big name credentia no that's that they're they're yeah no (laughs) Oh, and then Group banks. Delcourt, who I'm not too banks. familiar with. Group Delcourt, I don't Tyler, really know. you're taking us where I'm not trying to go right now, buddy. I have I plans for every aspect of this conversation. I'm um, just invested, Sean. I'm, I'm looking into this. I'm looking <laughs> at receipts here. I'm following the money. All right. So I want to start reading a few quotes and uh, get into this uh, interview. Uh, a fantastic interview from uh, the Comics Beat. Uh, done by uh, Heidi McDonald with them. Yeah, she's great. Um, really, really great. She asked most of the questions that I had and that we've raised here, um, and they answered every single one. And yeah, for she- what it's worth, uh, I think that you'll find that regardless of anything else, these are two people who care about comics, and they care about the industry, and they care about the people who work in the industry, at least the creators. We'll see about how much they care about everybody else. But where I want to start is with the concept of drop culture. Anybody here hear, hear of that before? Is that like oh. Supreme, that kind of stuff? Yep. Yeah. So this is so this is uh from the this is directly from the interview with Heidi McDonald. Uh David Steinberger said Drop culture exists in streetwear and style, say Supreme. They announce a product, people line up outside the store, there's a limited supply. When it's gone, it's gone, and people love it. Comics have that built in simply by being released on Wednesday. The retailers bought what they bought. You have a pull list, or you have to be there on Wednesday if you want to make sure you're getting that book, particularly a popular one. We didn't have control of price, of course, at our last job, referring to Comixology. But what we found is that the publishers are very resistant. One of the reasons we did well, I think, is because we listened to publishers and their problems, and they were really afraid of digital ruining print because it's so efficient for them. What we didn't realize is that 11 years later, the price of digital single issues, even though we've proven over and over that digital makes print makes print readers, was going to be the same price as print still. So this is me talking. What he's saying is that it's remarkable that the price of a digital comic and a physical comic are the exact same one-to-one, given that no. digital actually makes physical readers. According to him now back to his quote. Uh, and so you're talking about 2023 prices, generally speaking, four or $5, sometimes even more for a really short amount of entertainment. Japan became a huge digital marketplace compared to print much bigger, a way bigger percentage of print size. Some reports I'd read say over 50% of revenue comes from digital rather than print. Yet we still see numbers like 10 to 15% in the U S And we're trying to figure out why is that? Well, it's because there's no corollary to that culture in single issues. Chip Mosher adds, uh, Mosher adds, uh, on a macro level, we looked at how we can build a more equitable and sustainable future for creators. And if we did that, then we'll make stuff better for readers and retailers. We take treating creators as the best way, uh, the best way possible as a domino effect down to the reader and the retail. As a creator, that's not true. Like, I'm saying that. As a creator, that is not true. Explain that. 
So the idea is that by making things more beneficial, i.e. profitable for creators, that that content that comes out is better. We've never seen anyone make as much money making comics as the original Image Comic founders. Were their books great? No. Like everybody understands that. They were they were uh, a tentpole of, of awesome, but do they hold up? Do you go back to read Wildcats number one? Do you go back to read Youngblood number one? Absolutely not. But that was the thing that the, the Image founders figured out and built that they could do something that is so beneficial for themselves even pulling less numbers they were making more money than they were working for any of the big two companies but it didn't necessarily mean that the quality of the work that they were putting out was actually better it might have been better tools it might have been you know um special paper but it didn't actually mean that the content itself was better um so that's not really a truism uh particularly because if if you are a creator worth your salt and you're in this business, not for the money because any really good creator knows it's not about the money. You want to, you want to create something. You want to make something. It's the money has to be secondary. So if these guys off rip aren't already aiming to create their best work, trying to give them more money to create their best work doesn't necessarily do that. What it does is it actually gives you more of a, a possibility of of questioning and second guessing yourself because now you if other people know that you're getting all of this stuff they're going to really judge and critique what you're putting out and maybe it's not up to par and now you have a whole nother another venue of questioning yourself self-doubt insecurity all kinds of things or you just continue to put out crappy content you're like well i got paid for it anyway oh well that is that is a human nature sort of thing um if you guys have checked out, uh, Mark Miller has this great uh, podcast called Miller Time, and he interviewed Brian Hitch. In the early uh, 2000s, Brian Hitch basically was suffering this kind of concept. He was holding himself to such a high regard that he thought all of his work sucked, and that's why his stuff became so late. One of the highest paid creators at the time, what that did was it built in the sense that, oh, I need to be better to be, as, uh, be worth my paycheck. And he started questioning himself. Books came out late. Like there's a lot of trickle down effects of trying to, you know, put the creator first when they're not the end all be all of the success rate. You have to put the readers first, because if you put the creators first, you, you doesn't trickle down that way. It does not trickle down that way. Um, that's that's a problem. That's a huge problem. Yeah. What do you uh, say? Especially when you're. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um I wasn't thinking about it that way. I guess I was thinking more uh, price-wise. You know, if they if they if they keep the um, the price fairly low for readers, but they pay the creators well, you know, there will be more incentive to buy books, quality or not. You know, if the if the quality is there, the people will come. Um, and these are all very talented creators in their own way. You know. Um, I think that's really interesting. I hadn't heard that Brian Hitch thing, but I can absolutely see that. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once it was known that he was one of the highest paid pencilers in the business, it it you know introspectively made him doubt what he was doing, and yeah. consequently his books became late. Um, and and the presence of Brian Hitch's work changed significantly. And that's where, you know, you you run the risk of this happening because it's a natural facet. Once people know what you're making, 
then we start to look at like, well, why'd you do that? Like, you know, <laughs> it, be, it becomes, it becomes a very sincere thing. Like, and I think it's what exactly what happened with the image founders, which is why when you look at Todd McFarlane and the money that they were making initially, that's why he started hiring other people to mm. do stuff because there's some level of it where he's like, I don't, I don't want to be the guy that has to do this. That's why he stopped writing it. That's why he stopped drawing it. It was then allowable for any sort of fluctuation in quality if you will, because it wasn't him, you know, and, and then, you know, oh, well, I've, I hired Alan Moore. Alan Moore is one of the greatest writers of all time. It'll be great. Are all the Alan Moore pieces amazing? Not necessarily. And Alan was getting paid $10,000 an issue that he wrote. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yeah. You, you know need, you need money to build that castle that he has. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's built out of dollar bricks. That's what yeah. he's <laughs> And we're, we're seeing the same thing with Bendis right now, you know, highest paid creator moved to dc to move mountains for what how much of what he did is stuck like they literally yeah. just undid his biggest thing which was revealing the identity of clark kent so yeah. what he did didn't last five years yeah that's right. you know that's that's the that's the other metric that when you're when you're entrenched as i am and i i definitely recognize that i breathe uh rarefied air but that's what happens when you see that being the, the process, when you are trying to create a platform that brings in certain big name people and you focus on them up here, but not on the end result, that becomes the issue because it doesn't trickle. Like anytime anybody's built down or built something that's essentially trickle down economics, it never works. It doesn't work. Yeah. Ever. I, won Ever. I, I wonder if this exercise, if the creator, you know, if their attitude is creator first or whatever, if that would be better served as like more like giving creator stability, mm -hmm. you know, a, a creator union, for example. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. To, Watch out with that, that language well, there. Right. Unions, come on. Well, we are on an Amazon platform. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if you're not going to take that reader first uh, perspective. Let I me, wonder, uh, go, ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I wonder if, if giving, cause Sean, you said they have full rights to their IP. I wonder if that is incentive enough alone to keep quality up. Um, because then that could be used in other forms of media. Um, I mean, I, I mean, Spawn had a movie, so I, I just no, just. What's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. good though? But like at that point, it it doesn't necessarily matter because it still goes back to whether or not it's of quality. That like you can have the rights to whatever you want. But sure, yeah. Is it going to be good? Like I can make yeah. a crappy toy, right? Like that doesn't matter. Right. Let me let me continue reading, uh, because I think that you guys are going to want to chat about the digital aspect. I think the digital aspect of this is the most controversial but also misunderstood part of the whole deal so uh, let's Good. let's let's get into that so mcdonald heidi mcdonald uh very intelligently asks but there will be digital scarcity and steinberger says yeah exactly so the idea is that the vertical 
is, is distillery.co only. People can come in and buy single issues the day it comes out, probably Wednesday morning, and we'll figure out how long-term how that's going to work. And then Mosher says, what we're trying to do with the digital is replicate the fun of collecting print single issues in the digital marketplace. Steinberger follows. Right now, we're planning on releasing Wednesday and turning off sales on Tuesday. Whatever sells, sells. And then there will be a vertical marketplace for consumers on distillery.co for consumers to sell to each other. Mosher, with a perpetual royalty on every initial sale and resale going back to the creator. McDonald follows up and asks about NFTs. Uh, She wants them to be really clear about whether they're doing NFTs or not. They make it clear that they're not. They talk a lot about the blockchain. They say they're not using a blockchain. They're going to use a sort of a ledger database. That's what's going to keep accounting of who owned what and when and who it went to and things of that nature. I know Mar- Marco's laughing right now. And I I don't know if you're laughing for the reason why I laugh, but I was like, wait, isn't that the um, But the, the key difference is that they're not using the technology that leads to the problems that NFTs cause and whether or not you personally have a problem with NFTs, this is a conversation about perception. If Mm. distillery is really doing NFTs the way that everybody else does, the company will fail, right? Because nobody in comics, but people who want to make money in comics want NFTs. So they can't do that, but they want the benefits that come with NFTs. So, uh, Mosher says this, let's say we give 10 comp copies to Scott Snyder, and then he gives those away to 10 fans. Then those fans that uh, then those fans know that Scott owned it before them. And then if they want to resell it on the marketplace, they can sell it as, hey, Scott Snyder used to own this again, trying to bring fun, the fun of collecting print to digital. That's an NFT. That's a fucking NFT. I think I think the the key here is the the, the technology of it, right? Because a, a blockchain requires you know server okay. farms. And it's all an that. MFT. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 like an, the F stands for foe. Um, like, but then but then you're removing that level of security. Then yeah, because you lose the security of the blockchain. But the issue, the real issue with NFTs is the global impact on it, and the 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 fact that it has you know it's a power consumption, and there's. So it's like, it. all right, you want you, you want it. your cake and eating it too, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> these guys, these assholes are Brooklyn beer NFT bros <laughs> that put together. That's it. I figured it out. That's so, why it's called distillery. So, so um, was that a quotable? Like, oh, Scott Snyder owned this. Is that is that a quotable? That, that's a direct quote. Yes. So, so here's why that's silly. And with all due respect to everybody, Scott's my guy. Like, I love Scott. Uh, Big shout out to him. So I'm sorry if this seems like at all taking a shot at him. But based on what they said about this being creator-owned, all of these used to be owned by Scott Snyder. So that's not a sales point because it's still true. Like, Scott still does own this. And he just let me give this to you because that's all it is. Um, So that's that's marketing that's kind of silly, particularly when you're talking about creator-owned stuff. The second thing is, what are the pieces and parts in place to stop one person from gouging on all the digital sales, buying as much of them as possible so that they have all of these different uh, uh, units and increments? And then come Tuesday, now they hike up pricing. Like, do you have something in place for that? Because now you're going to create an entire marketplace um, for your digital content that could become a frenzy 
of of bad faith sales and and investors and all these different things that you know if i buy a bunch of of pieces and i can't move them come that next wednesday i'm not there to buy them again you know so now your your influx of stuff that happens for your creators is not strong it's not stable Sean, so you what know do you have in place to do that you know what this smells like sean this is before mm-hmm. nfts uh diablo 3 real auction house oh yeah 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 sure absolutely yeah. Yeah. Which lasted what a month before they realized, oh, we cannot control the market here. Wow, and it's making it a bad experience. But 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 in this case, Victor, I think every single thing said is what they want. I don't think that that's a flaw in the design. I think that is the design. Whoa. I think Whoa. what they're saying is this. I think what they're saying is this. Digital is ten to fifteen percent of the market. That's not enough for us to cater to it. So we're going to assume. That comic book fans who want to buy comics are in the physical space. So we're going to make the digits a wild west where the comics can cost anything after the first week. And everybody on all is going to benefit. I think that's exactly what they're saying. Wow. Wow. That's dangerous. Okay. I mean. (laughs) They set out. Sorry. Go ahead. Marco. Because then you're just like you're creating, and, and and he says it, you're creating that artificial scar- like uh, scarcity. scarcity. Yeah. And if if that's the case, then uh, the I think the collectible approach is inherently wrong because I think that's damaging to comics in general. Like that mentality of oh, it's for the collector, not for the enjoyment of a of a reader. And that's uh, I think a dangerous perspective to come in on. Uh, one for the comics themselves, but then from that digital perspective as well, because then you're creating the same problems that you have uh, in the physical space onto the digital. And then to Victor's mm-hmm. point, then you're going to create that wild west where the the price fluctuation can be whatever you value it as. So that was the first wave of art NFTs, right? You can put, put down, oh yeah, I made this thing. And so I uh, added a token to it. And it now costs three thousand dollars, where something else costs like five. Uh, cool that it'll provide a residual back to the creator based on that sale, but at some point that sale is going to be oh actually this is only worth five cents. And once the market normalizes to that, who cares? the The creator is going to get fine, maybe a few cents, a few like points of a cent off of that down the road. Uh, so I don't know if that's even valuable for them. Or for the company in the long run, right? See, see, the what what we're not talking about is the incentive part. Remember, it's not just hey, Scott Snyder used to own this. It's the ability to say, and I'm not I'm not saying this is what they are saying. I'm saying that they're talking about things like this. What I'm about to say, hey, Scott Snyder's hosting a dinner at New York Comic Con, and everybody who owns the first issue of such and such book through Distillery is invited. Now, Marco, you own that copy, but you don't really care about going to that dinner. So now you go to distillery.co and you put your copy up for 200 bucks. You want to go to dinner with Scott Snyder, right? Give me 200. You know they're going to do it. Yeah. Snyder's doing I'm not this, but Snyder's doing it now on Substack. Yep. Yep. What about physical? Do they have to just show up to the restaurant with a physical book? <laughs> physical, you're just a bum. Yeah, they they kick yeah. you out of the restaurant. You're not even allowed in the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. 
You lose I mean, it. <laughs> that that seems like this has always been an issue with like even NFTs as well. You know, like what is the incentive? And I know you you mentioned they have events that are tied to these things. Um, but in terms of like variants and stuff, I never understood the incentive for digital variants because uh, for me, like the stuff that I've bought digitally that I've liked are like game skins, you know, like, you know, uh, top lane mentioned, you know, V bucks. Like I like Fortnite skins because I can play them. I can see them. Other people can right. see them. How do you display variants in a way that is right. incentivized? Is there like a met oh, fuck? I almost said metaverse actually. Um, but is there like a <laughs> metaverse where you can show your collection, you know? Do they have like? Can you go to like somebody's basement online and see all their their variants? You know, that they bag and board digitally. Like, I don't understand it really. I guess the events make sense, but then it's just not about the comic book at that point. It's about none, but none a, of the club. Yeah, that's exactly what it's about. Gross. In, in the digital form, what is what is the what is the quantitative cutoff? Like, you got a you've got a time based cutoff. Okay, yeah. so from Wednesday to Tuesday, you can't buy anymore. But if you can't control how many people can buy that, then you're already destroying your incentive space because if there are 10,000 of these things that are sold in that first six, seven days, name me a space that's not already a convention center that you can host this dinner where everyone that's, <laughs> that, that has this thing can go. Like or, you, or, are, you are asking for trouble. Or, or to that, right? Uh, somebody said earlier, you can buy like let's say X number of copies, right? You buy them out. I'm assuming there's no, there is no cutoff threshold for that, right? We don't so, know any any of those details, but go ahead. Yeah. Presumably, let's say they they don't have a, a limit on it, right? There is no white paper to say I have only X number of uh, available copies or whatever tokens associated. Then you know if somebody can buy this, can buy ten thousand, let's say with the idea that I'm going to resell these at a higher price later. And then 15 people show up to a, a to a convention because people were, were ready to like host this many people there. So you're also inflating your expectation on your return on what somebody will potentially want to buy and like resell. Yeah. I, I love all the, space. I love all the points. I want to say that, uh, they're stressing this is more akin to StubHub than an NFT space. It Which, remains to be seen. Yeah. I think it's NFTs without the forced destruction. Um, it, it it really is going to come down to the granular decisions that they make about how many copies of a digital are available. Uh, what happens if one person buys them all? All these things that you guys have been saying, I think those are all questions that they're going to have to answer in order to really solidify what we're even looking at here. But let's move forward and talk about creators and creator benefits. So McDonald asks, they're like investors in the company. And Steinberger says, they're investors in terms of their time and making a commitment to us, right? So all of our founders have multi-series deals. Since they're making commitments to us, we're making a commitment back to them right out of the gate. We also put aside 3% of the company in the first three years for anybody, not only founding creators, but anybody who creates a series with us. If you have had a gigantic hit of immense proportions for the company that includes merchandise and toys, any revenue from that series and anything to do with that series is your percentage. So if there's a third of distilleries revenue comes from one series, they're going to get 1% of the company. Now, this is me. I want to clarify because that sounds a little wrong, right? The 3% 
is not what the founders are getting. The 3% is up for grabs for anybody at all that comes on board after the fact in the first three years and makes a hit. The founders can get that, but they already have their equity shares baked into their deals before any 3% conversation. So so you're saying of that 3% that has been put aside, there is already a portion of that, that in, I guess, whatever contract that they'll have with the presumed person who will take on that share, there's some sort of revenue passback or yeah, rev passback through that. So, so, so like Scott Snyder already owns whatever percentage he owns of the company. We have no idea what those numbers are. I'm assuming it's not 3%. Um, if Victor Dandridge then decides, you know what, I'm going to blow everybody's socks off and I'm going to bring my imprint over there and it blows up and there's a movie and there's a television show about Wonder Care and the kindergartens, right? And it does big numbers. Well, guess what? Victor Dandridge is going to claim a percentage of the company. That 3% that remains for those three years is for people like Victor to come in, do something hot, and then now become an owner. Okay. Is, is this sort of like the uh, what I vaguely understand to be Kirkman's deal? Oh, you are so good. Yeah. That is yeah. exactly yeah. how I was going to explain it next. Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah, Kirkman came on later when The Walking Dead smashed. Right. And became an owner and got a percentage of. Mm-hmm. Right. Image. So I'm going to read a little bit more and then and then uh, you guys chat. So uh, Heidi said, content-wise, how do you set yourself apart? I mean, there's a lot of books out there, and obviously story is what is the most important. Steinberger said, one of the things we really believe in is that if you treat the creators well and they become owners in the company, as we've added founding creators over the last few months, you can see them starting to behave like owners. They started thinking about what kind of story is really going to play out there. The idea that they'll bring the most commercial, their best work to distillery, because that's a place where they'll be rewarded for the long term if they bring a hit or if somebody else that they know is also a great creator brings the hit they're all participating together we're hoping that works and it seems to be appealing to the creators masher adds the other thing having the creators package the book themselves work with the editors that they like the letters that they like etc we're able to spend more money and on marketing and pr and get the word out so we're looking forward to really promoting this that is dangerously close to a pyramid scheme I felt like you might say that. Yeah, yeah. If you if you join us and you do something great, then you get all this money. If you bring somebody else under you and they do something great, you also will get some of this money because you, they built up the company. And if they bring somebody under them and they do something great, then they will get, and then you will get, and then we will get. It's <laughs> it's, it's it's a dangerous move. Um, I can't wait again, for the. This uh, is, I was going to say I can't wait for the Herbal Life comic to come out. Yeah. Be great. <laughs> uh, it's, it's about holistics okay it's about yeah. holistics um <laughs> yeah i i think this that aspect of it becomes questionable um you got these guys together and they want to create good work that's amazing when you start to separate the idea of um commercial or great commercial work and best work again these guys the idea as creatives you're always trying to put out your best work. It should never be a, a financial incentive that says, now I'm going to do better work for you. That's terrible. We shouldn't even promote that as a creative culture that you have to be paid more to do your best. 
this is your name, right? Like that's your brand. That should constantly be the impetus for you putting your best foot forward, no matter what dollars you're getting back from this. Because truth be told, that money can come and go. Your name on this work will last forever. Like that is immortality right there. And if you don't have that sensibility where your, your best effort can be bought, you're asking for fans not to respond to you because you're not always putting forth your best effort. And we know it. You're telling us you're not. And that's bad. It, it, it <laughs> does feel like injecting typical startup tech culture into a creative yeah. field. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, well, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's just like, as a creative, sometimes money is not uh, 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 consistent. And sure. when a deal comes Sometimes. up like this, like the Substack stuff, we talked about it when Substack was, was announced. Like I saw some of those Substack deals and like, I don't blame you, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't, I, I couldn't begrudge a single creator for yeah. taking it. It's the idea of what the minds behind it are exactly. trying to yep. set up for the creators. And to an, to an effect, they're taking advantage of that, that instability yep. that being a creative has. And the truth is, is that in some cases and spaces, that instability is a necessity for you to create your best work. If you try to pad that too much, then you you make it harder for someone to have that hunger, that grind to create their best work. Um, that's not that's that's difficult. You know, if you look at some of the the span of, let's look at Frank Miller, the span that he was most impactful honestly was at like the beginnings of his career when he hadn't become frank miller yeah. fully yet like yeah. that's when he was just like i'm hitting out the park wow 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 and he's swinging for the fences even doing things that conventional comics were like no nah, don't do that and he's like no nah, i'm doing it anyway that is when those seminal pieces happened once once you try to incentivize financially this when was the last time that we've seen something from Frank, who is a legend, a literal legend that changed the game, like his early work when he was hungry? Yeah, we haven't like we literally haven't like Sin City. If you if you think about it as as a quote unquote tail end of a certain era of Frank, that's a different time period. And then we didn't get another thing until 300, which was almost 10 years later, yeah. like when again in in figurative obscurity he has fallen when you have other works like kingdom come have come out and things like that we're not talking about frank like we used to and then he does 300 you're like oh snap he's back but then you get dark knight strikes again and people don't respond as well because these are like you 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 cannot financially incentivize someone's best when it comes to creative space that's not that should not be the impetus because it's not going to come out that way and Can especially I, yeah. Uh, I'll make this point quickly, especially because your best is so subjective. Yes. You can only talk about your best through the audience's dollars. Like you may not hit that for 30 years. Right. And and this might be a little bit of a different example, but as you were speaking, I was reminded of Dan Didio. Uh, Dan Didio did an amazing interview that we constantly reference from the Comics Journal. And uh, in it, he talks about the unbelievable success of Countdown, I believe, or yeah. was it was it it was Countdown, right? I think it was Countdown, yeah. Okay, and how Countdown was a was a weekly series that had all these great creators as part of it and things like that, and it was so successful, right? And everybody did their best, and everyone loved it so much that the top end of who they're owned by. 
the ownership of DC, Warner, said, yeah, that was cool. Do it again. Right. And then they said, uh, okay. And then they did it again. And then they did it again. And then they did it again. And now they don't do it anymore because it sucks now. Everybody trying their best. But they were doing it. 52, right. And then Countdown, yeah. Okay. 52 was the one that really hit. And then, yeah. So they did their best. Their best was phenomenal. Then they were told, do it again. And it wasn't as good. Your example of Dark Knight Strikes Again, hey, maybe Frank did it in one. Maybe he didn't need to say anymore. But when you're incentivized by the money and not the idea, that can happen. You find right. something to say, and that's <laughs> and that because and that's an, and I I love Frank. Like I literally just worked with him in Orlando. I love Frank, yeah. but that is the critical response to coming back to a project that seemingly he came back to from from the general outside perspective for the money because it's like, well, Dark Knight worked. Let's do that again. It didn't. It didn't have the same hit. And then when you compare that to DK three, where there was a lot more. Um, there was a lot more criticism of whether or not this should even be done and it actually hits better because now he has something to prove and it's not about the money, right? Not only did he have something to prove, he worked with Brian Azzarello, he didn't do the artwork himself, you know, he had Andy Kubert on it, so now it becomes about the work and not anything other than, like, I gotta get my name back. Y'all gonna, y'all gonna respect me on this Dark Knight stuff, like, y'all are gonna <laughs> act like I, I'm, not the, I'm not the guy that did that and then, boom, DK3 hits. You go back and you read, you know, Dark Knight Strikes Again. Like, that actually wasn't that bad because look at what this set up. But you have to be about the work. It cannot be about this financial incentive to do your best. That has to be your goal from jump. If it's not, we will see it. And that's what we'll respond to. Even if you do get issue one and it's fire, we look at it and go, no, nah, that ain't it. We're seeing it. We're seeing it with the MCU right now. Yeah. You you had, you know, Endgame, boom, billion, $2 billion. The next movie, they're like, we're just going to keep it going. We're looking at it like, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of mid. I don't know. It doesn't feel know. the same. Yeah. It, it doesn't, it doesn't feel, the same. feel the same. What jumps out to me is Civil War too. It's like, all right, we have the movie coming out. Let's let's do a book. And like even the the the, the text of the book barely made sense in terms of the conflict. Um, And that oh, gorgeous book, though. Looks great. Yeah, I also I, I also want to say that, you know, we're talking about money right now that is going to and, and Victor is saying, hey, financial incentives aren't aren't good enough to make creators do their best work. Victor's not talking about, you know, the person who's just grinding, making it day by day to build a name up for themselves, that hungry creator who's, you know, really getting it done. Scott Snyder is. He has a lot of money. He's, he's right? done. He's done. Right? He's, like, yeah. he's he's a legend. He's done it. He's Rom V is on his way. All these people that we named up at the top don't have the same money problems that creators who are still in that grind have. Notice who wasn't chosen for distillery. Anybody that you yeah. don't know. Yeah. Right. Who yeah, Where? what was this? Uh, there was that's, another that's, thing. And recently. that's literally my point right there. Yeah, you give somebody was- that doesn't have that opportunity that opportunity and go create your best stuff. Boom, yeah. I'm blowing the doors off because the stuff that I that held me back can't hold me back right now. Yeah. But when you're talking about guys that have already done that and you're like, okay, now do your best work. I've been doing that. That's why you're even talking to me. Like, what is that? That's crazy. Yeah. 
if this Maybe was if, if there was like another list involved. Like I I understand needing to have Scott Snyder because that helps the article, it helps the announcement. Uh, but if it's like, oh, we also have these new upcoming creators, you know, like that would sit better with me in the idea of this is is this for creators? You know what I mean? It must have been Substack that we started talking about this. Like, um, you know, they had all these great creators: Scott Snyder, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 James, James Tinian, yeah. Hickman. Like, uh, and they wanted it to be the next comic place. Uh, but nobody you didn't know was on there. Right. Exactly. And so it means nothing for creators who actually could use the boost. And I'm not, I'm not looking at anybody's pockets. I'm not talking about none of that. Get every dollar and cent that you can. Yeah. Yeah. But if we're talking about what inspires creators to do their best, it's not money. And Mm -hmm. if you're a creator, you know that it's just how it is. Um, Let's talk about the media part. Because obviously nowadays, when you talk about comics, you're talking about multimedia. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. That's the world we live in. And so Heidi McDonald asks, is media development a part of your plan? Well, it's not the core driver. Great comics first. Wow. Our initial our initial PL, I don't know what that term means. Marco, do you know what that means? Profit, Profit and loss. Thank you. Yeah. Um, is all based on revenue from print, publishing, and digital. That's it. And I don't even think we have any Hollywood money in the profit and loss currently. Steinberger said, we really needed and wanted to be profitable on the comics. Now, we know that they have investors. Yeah, They have a few investors that are involved with this. I'm going to tell you who they are in a moment. Um, when, when they were asked about the investors, Steinberger said, their relationship is that they're excited. The investment came with no contractual relationship aside from one we're not talking about yet. Mosher said, one of the great things about being at Comixology is all the international exposure that we got to the whole world of comics. And so it's really important to have an international scope and a viewpoint to the company from day one. And so having both Kadansha USA and Group Delcourt be investors is not only flattering, but it's just kind of a dream come true. Um, And so those two groups are involved, uh, which is, you know, huge for this company but they also have uh lorenzo de bolaventura who most people probably have heard that that name by now yeah huge movie producer transformers so many different properties and projects he is a major name in that in that space yeah um and so he's behind it. He actually spoke about it. I don't have his direct quotes, but he talked about the importance of backing this as a uh, sort of future proofing for ideas that can come to the big screen at some point and things like that. Um, so he was very excited as well. The the interesting thing with him, too, is that a lot of his stuff is Hasbro credits. So there's a toy, you know, that's a great point. Kind of. Is, uh, uh, so is he this mystery investor? What do you mean yeah, by mystery investor? Well, you said earlier from the quote that there was Kodansha and uh, Delcourt. Yeah, so we have Delcourt, we have Kodansha USA, uh, we have uh, also on the advisory board of Distillery, we have uh, John Schnappert, who is a video game industry uh, person. We have tech strategist uh, Mike Vorhaus, and as I mentioned, uh, Lorenzo de Bonaventura. Um, So those are the people who are sort of backing this from a financial standpoint. 
they're checking off all of the media. <laughs> you got games, yeah. mm-hmm. you got movie, TV and film, uh, tech, and I guess toys in a bit too there too. So, and so strategic the part, yeah. the contract part that they're not talking about, I assume is how all these people will benefit once the multimedia starts. That's my assumption. Yeah, because yeah, especially if if these brand deals occur, um, and yes, the creators own something, but that doesn't mean that there's not a portion that gets paid out to distillery for doing it. Um, essentially, you're putting all into the pot. So the more of these type of deals that exist, the more the pot grows, and the more everybody technically has sure. um, in terms of value. Um, this sounds like less of a a publishing uh a comic publishing imprint as opposed to a development imprint and again if that's what you are say that say that because then it makes more sense to all the people that you went to because what you're you're going for is clout that will bring you those ancillary you know project dollars and you're not promoting it as this comic book thing because it's not a comic book thing that's just one of the vehicles that you're using to get into these other places, um, which you know goes into some conversations negatively that people say that they don't like when creators are using comics to field uh, movie pitches. That's essentially what you're doing if that's the way this is designed. But just say so. Just say so. It's it smells like an IP farm. Yeah, it's an IP yeah. farm. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's IP farm. Yeah. But I, I think I think to your earlier example, uh, Victor, of like it being a shonen jump sort of initial book and series right that pipeline from manga to anime is so Mm -hmm. seamless but only once a book hits right so i think they're hedging their they're hedging bets on these top tier talent one of these has to mix like do something that will light the world on fire and then Mm -hmm. from there we have the vehicles in place to now produce this beyond the beyond the book and i think I think it's your point. You need to tell people that because if it's just yeah. for, if it's just for comics, and I think you've also kind of closed your space, your 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 circle of reach there, where it's okay, cool. It's for comics people. Like we're gonna have our opinions. We're gonna come in and, and think about this in a certain way. Versus, well, actually, if you know, long term, uh, we want to be able to build a TV show out of this or an animation. Right. I'm like, oh, I'm I'm interested in that because I'm familiar with that sort of format with that sort of market. Um, and I'd be not that I'm not open to this necessarily, but I, I'd be also open to that. And I think you'd get a larger swath of people potentially wanting to back the book. Yeah. Yeah. I well, definitely see that. Let's let's uh, we're going to wind down on this, but uh, there are, there are a couple of more things because we've much covered the we pretty much covered the highs and lows of this. But the one thing we haven't talked about is too much is who. Mosher and Steinberger are and why if this can be successful it's gonna largely hinge on their ability to make this work and their experience is what tells me that they can not necessarily that they will but they can so I'll refer back to the um so McDonald asks what are some of the lessons that you learned on comiXology originals that you're bringing to this and Mosher says Oh, gosh, I think just communication is key. Just being as upfront early and often with everyone about expectations and about what's happening and just having open lines of communication. Steinberger says, Chip has created a trust with creators. Will they know he will talk to them? 
when they call, he will return their email. He will reach out to just see how they're doing. And that seems to be a rarity in this business. That's my impression from the creators, at least. And frankly, at Comixology, we treated everybody very well. We paid on time. We supported their vision. We gave them commentary when it was necessary, but in a way that's empathetic and thoughtful. Chip was just really, really good at that. I honestly think you'll hear this if you just talk to some of the creators. They'll all say, we love Chip, and we trust David and Chip because they have treated people well and fairly and have tried to do the right thing by comics this entire time. McDonald said, so that's it, David. You're sticking with comics. And he replied, I can't help it. I love it. The CEO stuff, the original stuff at Comixology was just the most fun I've had in years, and I had a pretty good time coming in through Amazon. Um, anecdotally, uh, that quote on Chip, him like his work relationships, having worked with him, uh, absolutely great guy. Uh, the the connections he has, the way that he is able to facilitate those relationships, um, yeah, if you're so lucky to work with him, uh, awesome. he's awesome. Definitely appreciate that. So, my feeling on this overall is mixed. I, I've, I've tried to let you guys have, have your, your say, but I have a few points that I would like to make. So my questions and concerns are the following oversaturation, mm -hmm. because I'm questioning whether or not the market is big enough to sustain another publisher charging premium pr prices, which is going to be five plus dollars each issue, more likely in the seven to $8 range. Um, I read pretty much everything that a lot of these creators put out already. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about cutting back on my comic spending. So how can I justify not only more books from them, but at a higher cost? And what's the messaging to me as somebody who buys Scott Snyder book that the books that I've read through um, Dark Horse that have been coming out, the Substack that I'm on, all the great comicsology originals that he's done, all are allegedly now paling in comparison to what he's going to be offering this that makes me feel like shit mm. and on top of that what happens to all the publishers that already exist who need james tinian and scott snyder and stephanie phillips and others to do books through them who now these creators have literally no reason at all to do books with them because they don't own them they, like they, they own them their creator owned or whatever but they're not making every dollar and cent possible off of them because Dark Horse has to make their money and Comixology has to make their money, but Scott Snyder is an owner. Why would an owner put a book out through another publisher when they don't have to? Right. That scares he's going, through his, he's going against his own interests. Right. He's competing with himself. That yeah. doesn't make sense, right? Uh, how sweet is the pot going to be beyond the three-year mark when they're no longer offering ownership of the company as incentive for new creators. The founding creators have it great. It's easy to pay Scott Snyder what he's worth when so much of your appeal comes from having him on board. Not everyone is going to get the Scott Snyder treatment financially, but are they also going to be paired fairly? And what happens... Because comics are created by multiple people. It's not just Scott Snyder, right? It's Scott mm -hmm. Snyder. It's Jock. It's whoever else he brings on board. Are they all owners? Letterers. Jock, Jock yeah. is here, right? But what about other? What about Clayton Cowles? You want to talk about a letterer, right? Mm -hmm. Is he going to be an owner? Is he going to? What, what's his profit share if he only lettered the book? Snyder's the main guy. But what about everybody else? I think that's an important question to ask. Mm -hmm. 
They offered uh they offered Clayton uh sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll give you three extra links on, on the chain to your desk if you uh yeah. So so those are my big questions. Um those are my big concerns. Um I've got positives though. My positives are I think broadly speaking, more power and ownership in the hands of creators is a good thing. The founders not only get to be the primary benefactors of their own work, but they also have a say in the working conditions and the business aspects. You can't underrate that. Creators being in charge of a company hopefully means that in the future, the creators that get hired by this company get treated fairly. We'll see. Uh, creators are incentivized to do their best work for this publisher because they own it. So the likelihood that these proven creators take things to greater heights is high. I, I wrote these before this conversation. I think Victor has definitely sort of changed some of my mind about that. But I think that there is a rational, you can look at that part rationally as well. Um, mm -hmm. So far, comics messaging, comics focused messaging has been good. This is a company that wants to make its money selling comic books. Up front, I think that is the case. I do believe that the digital stuff has me a little weary, but they're talking comics, and they're the only publisher that's talking only comics. Um, mm -hmm. While they do have investors, that's all they are. People who are willing to put money into the company because they believe in it with no contracts on the table entitling, entitling them to have any say over the content. I think that's important. And finally, Distillery is run by people who clearly love and care for not just comics, but the creators and the industry itself. They have an incredible amount of experience and didn't have the kind of corporate oversight that prevented them from treating creators fairly. Marvel gets away with doing a lot of stuff. But not just Marvel, DC, I'm sure Image, and then all the other creators that don't pay. We've talked about that many times on this podcast. One thing we could say about Comixology is that they didn't have that problem. They were paying. Mm. So hopefully the still a repays too. Interesting. It's a big, it's a big topic. There's so much to it. Um, do you guys yeah. have any questions before we close out on this? Or any I'm last eager to see thoughts? what happens. I'm eager to see what happens. Um, more voices in the business um, means that we we have more opportunities to consider how we're doing things. Um, that's more testing to see if this is the way the market's going to go, if it's going to go over here. And, you know, I think if anything, this is a this is a, a rallying cry for us independents. It's time for us to do something like that. Yeah. Like figure it yeah. out, you know, even if it's just a matter of putting together that Shonen Jump style, something or other that we can all invest equally into and then see if that feeds off into our other ventures. Do it. Do it. You know, pulling together is smart in a lot of ways. Figure it out. Yeah, I, I just hope like from like a startup tech you know side of things, like I just hope this doesn't become like, all right, we do good for the first two, you know, two, three years, and then somebody buys us out, you know, chipping them. They just all right, we got our money, we can leave. Um and then, you know, like an endeavor group just buys them, you know. Um I, I think the they're typical there the startup time. style. I, I think they're there for the comics, like ultimately. Um, sure. I do trust trust that piece of it. Like yeah. I think with this venture, this is to whatever degree it'll last is probably they're going to see it through. I'm just saying there's always a check, a check big enough to make you change your mind. <laughs> fair, fair. Hey, hey, that's the truth for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Chip really stuck it through until the end with Amazon, you know. Fair, yeah. Um, and that's a pretty big check. Um, but I, I think for me, this feels, I, this doesn't feel right. You know, there's again, this feels gimmicky 
It feels mm-hmm. like another tech bro NFT thing. I think it's a a a, a good move, but I think ultimately I I get the feeling that this will be just sort of a flash in the pan thing. And then we'll see Scott Snyder sign up for the next thing. And it'll be the next massive creator's rights movement. I will, I will admit I would be far more enthused if it wasn't backed by anybody else. And it was just those creators that got together and go, you know what? Let's do this. Yeah. Like, like image was. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you, you would, so you would feel better if, the list of creators that I rattled off earlier put their money into this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because again, when it comes to it, it's, it's unfair to people that don't understand this, but as a self-publisher, I've been full-time self-publishing for 13 years. I've never worked for Marvel image, DC, dark horse, anybody. So the idea that I could do this and sustain it for 13 years by myself should tell you how actually easy, easy it is to self-publish. So when these guys already have that audience, the idea that they're not doing that and consequently putting themselves in a position where they are, everything is creator owned, they get everything back, they, they put it in, that becomes a questionable thing to me because I'm like, well, if I could do it, I know you could do it. Like mm-hmm. you should be able to do it way better than I do. Why are you still partnering in this way if you don't have to? What is it that you're afraid of? What is it that you don't know that you can do that for whatever reason I know I can't? Like that's just silly. But that there's something to that when, um, you know, I still give that that huge level of respect to the image founders when they go, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, oh, we we, we didn't sell a million copies. We only sold, you know, uh, a couple hundred thousand, but we still made way more money per issue because it was us, because we put the money in. Oh, well, that works out. Like, you know, those are the, those are the things, especially as we're seeing diminished numbers in comics, um, yeah, I'd like to see more creators invest in themselves rather than use uh, publisher backings and then complain about what rights they have or don't have when you very well could do this on your own. I think that's fair. And I think we'll leave it there. Um, this is a story that will play out long tail. And I think the next six months are going to be really important to learn what's going on. But more than that, I'm interested in three years from now, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I approach hopeful I approach positive to anything that could work out for creators. It could work out for retailers and fans because we need good in the industry right now. And I'm hoping that this can be that good. So that's where we'll leave it. Let's speak once again to our man, the man of the hour, Victor Dandridge. Listen, you did such a fantastic job speaking with us about the distillery thing and it's it's worth pointing out you're not new to podcasting you actually have a weekly show on youtube uh yes black white and read all over right red no just red red yeah yeah yeah. just like the old joke you know yeah right yeah Um, yeah yeah, where we read review and recommend comics every week um pulling from some of those those names that we were talking about like we we are big fans of comics uh, big shout out to Ryan Seymour, the owner of uh, Comic Town. Uh, we want to get people excited about comics. That's the biggest thing about it. Um, a lot of times we see that a lot of reviewers are about being edgy and critical. We want you to go into a shop. We want you to go pick up some books. We want you to read some things. So we're, we're highlighting the things that we loved and uh, the things that we liked. And we try to leave off things that we weren't fans of unless we have something really uh, constructive to offer 
about what we hope happens, you know, in the future with those properties or, or creators or whatever. So yeah, having a big blast with that. Definitely check that out on YouTube. Comictown.tv is the channel. And uh, every week we're there. Love it. And not only that, but we talked earlier about the big bundle. The big bundle yes. is funded, which for mm-hmm. you, the listener, means that when you back this, uh, you're you're guaranteed to receive your product. I I literally was emailing with Victor. What was that Tuesday? Yeah, Thursday, yeah. my girlfriend's like, "Oh, you have a package," and I look, and it's Kindergartens. So that is Victor is on time. He said it. What'd you say? Thirteen years self publishing. Yeah, I right. have I've been up and down the road of comic book conventions, and at, oh, I think every event I've ever been to, Victor was there. Um, it, it, since since we started doing this, at least, yeah. um, and I met you even before we started doing this. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, Victor is consistent. Victor is one of the smartest minds in the business. I think you got oh, that dude, from the you, prior conversation, you. and I'm hoping for big things. Support good comics if you've got the means. Not everybody has the means. If Absolutely. you have the means, and you want good books, to support them. And I'm telling you. Victor's got good comics. So why don't you why don't you let the people know a little bit about the big bundle once again? What can yes. they expect from it as we close out? Uh, huge aspects adding to the VIP shared universe. We're fully invested in the VIP phase two. Um, we had our foundational issues uh, or titles with Wonder Care Presents the Kindergartians, All Ages Friendly, Muppet Babies Meets the Justice League, Origins Unknown, which is a little teen friendly, The Trouble with Love, my most critically acclaimed comic to date, Stop. a very young adult, amazing title, The Samaritan, which is a bit more mature, Uh, We're taking that as the foundation and building upon it. VIP Phase 2 has at least, at least six titles in it uh, currently. We actually are probably going to expand that into next year with at least two more um, before we go into what will be Phase 3. And this will be a huge buildup. This is something that is accessible. Um, The only ones that require for you to have read anything else are the sequel titles. So Never Too Late and Point of Authority, Family Ties are the only ones that require for you to have any previous information from a phase one title that's it everything else you can jump in brand new and experience that for the first time um and if you do see the interconnected uh tissues the little threads um then you'll have an even better experience that's the that's the game plan here we want you to enjoy these things as individuals as well as something bigger if you find it that way so uh the the big bundle has 10 comics that you're getting through the rest of 2023 spread out over six issues one amazing campaign back the big bundle today Love it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Vic, thank you so much for joining us. Thank I love you, guys. you come on here, man. What's the pleasure. social? What are the handles? How can people find you? Uh, find me in your hearts and minds already, uh, but you can find me on social media at Vantage Inhouse, V-A-N-T-A-G-E-I-N-H-O-U-S-E. Uh, if you go to VantageInhouse.com, that is our online home, um, you'll see a promo for the big bundle right there on the page. So we make it as easy as possible to find me. Um, find all the stuff that we're creating. I'm working with the best collaborators in the business. I absolutely adore everybody that I work with um, because every time I get a new collaborator, we're all getting better. And it's it's freaking amazing. Um, if you are interested in making your own comics and you've ever wanted to play around with that, I highly recommend my You Create Comics line. That's the letter U-C-R-E, the number eight, comics.com. Uh, it's programming uh, from an educational standpoint, as well as physical products, traditional art supplies to help you make your own comics from start to finish. And this is for any age. If you're eight years old or 80 years old, make some comics with us. We got ways to do it. Love it. We're going to say goodbye to Vic off air real quick. We'll be right back for you. If you're not watching live, you're not missing a beat. (laughs) 
So that was a, a very lively conversation. I hope that you guys got a full picture of what distillery is. Uh, we try to be thorough. I think we've really touched on pretty much everything. If you have questions, write in. If you're watching live and you have questions, maybe we can answer them um, as we're getting to other things. We spent a long time on that, so we're going to have to you know, uh, barrel through this the rest of the show. We've got a lot more show to do. The return of Twilight of the Superheroes is going to be happening today. Uh, we're also going to be talking about a bunch of announcements. Uh, DC announced Night Terrors and and really blew the door off of that. We've got some new uh, Mark Wade books and Marvel, not to be outdone, announced every single uh, X Men book character, non even even non X Men uh, are involved with Fall of the Mutants. So I think there were about twenty seven thousand titles. Um, yeah. So we'll have to talk about every single one of those, now. which is fun. Uh, sorry, whoops, I got that one wrong. Uh, but you know what? I never get wrong. Showing love to the patrons. Patreon.com slash the comics pals is the best way to support us over here on the comics pals. And we'd love to show love to those who show us love, don't we? Uh, we're gonna show love right now, in fact, to uh our 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 biggest supporters over there. So we're gonna say thank you to Thunder Becca Alejandro, the Night Stalker, Harris Najinsky, Brian Demolisher Del Pozo, Random Rocio, Kefis the Incorruptible, The Great Destroyer, Hyper Viper 89, Momentum Mike Elliott, Starcross Catherine Stars, The Hound of Justice, Atomic Hound, Dan the Truth Trudeau, and Joel Justice. Thank you all so, so much. We appreciate you. If you want to support us on Patreon.com uh, slash the Comics Pals, you can do that for as little as $3 a month. You get access to all of our exclusive content over there, including a newsletter, including a special show called Palling Around, which drops once a month, which sees us just talking about whatever the heck we feel like talking about. In fact, we got to do one of those, boys. Um, you get to vote in our book clubs, and you get early, uh, early peaks at some of the upcoming stuff. Tyler actually teased one of those in his most recent newsletter. I also lit stuff so, on fire. You did. Yeah. You did. That oh, and your cool. moo moo. It, it, it's I, I need I need a good uh a good kitchen apron, I gotta say. Yeah. What's wrong with that moo moo? It was not flattering right. to my form. Let's just say that. Well, I think it looks great. <laughs> all right, well, all right. I'll, uh I'll talk to you after the show then, Kel. All right. Let me know your supplier. <laughs> if you want to be supplied. With more comic spells, you can watch this live at 10.15 a.m. every single Saturday. That's 10.15 a.m. Eastern. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern for Pals Polls. That's where we review comics. If you want to vote in the listener poll, that vote that poll is up right now on Twitter. So you can go over there and vote for the book that you think we should be reviewing on Pals Polls. One book will make it out. And uh, normally it's the best book of the week. So keep it up, guys. Or a Superman book. One of the two. Well, I mean, but that, but there's been correlation <laughs> yeah, there almost every week. So. Overlapped a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Far Sector Book Club is out now. If you guys want to check that out, I think we had a great conversation there. So um, go go listen to that if you haven't had the opportunity. And for everything else at the Comics Pals, you guys know the routine by now. Thank you so much for still being with us. Uh, if you are enjoying, make sure you hit the like button. If you're watching on YouTube. Switch Prime sub subs really help us out. Uh, they cost you nothing, so uh, we appreciate those. Tyler, why don't you hit us with that listener comment? Yeah, so Gene Gray. Uh, wait, is that how it's pronounced? Okay. I Jean, hope so. Jean Gray. Jean Gray. Um, uh, Gene said, It's a comfort to hear how much Jeff values hope and optimism, both in literature and in life. 
These are the attributes, in addition to the incidental groundbreaking diversity, that are at the heart of Legion fandom and the Legion mythos, and their absence characterized the failures of the various edgy Legions and Bendis gratuitous inclusivity. If the Legion is too much for Jeff to take on alone, I hope he might lean on Mark Wade and Paul Levitz. So I wanted to highlight this comment um, literally strictly for the name. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know it until I said it out loud. Dude, yeah. I love it so much. That's gonna be my that's gonna be my pseudonym. I'm Your gonna go by plume. that. Yeah. Yes. Jean Gray. G-E-N-E-G-R-E-I-G-H. I love it. You ever listen to Jean Gray? She's like a hip hop artist. Yeah. Yeah. Again, because of the name. Yes. Well, she's good too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. There's a, you guys know there's a, a I think they're metal. Uh, G, uh Gwen Stacy. That's a good metal band name. I haven't heard that. That's all. That's an awesome name. Right. I, I think that. you might like them. Yeah, I think you might like them. Gwen Stacy, I'm gonna have to look that up. Uh, I wanted to also highlight this because, um, you know, we did interview Jeff last week, and it was awesome. And I think that uh, what came through for me is that hope and optimism that Gene is uh, is talking about. So yeah, and and so many great comments. Thank you for everybody who reached out. With kind words about our Jeff Johns interview, I responded to literally every single one on YouTube. Um, but generally speaking, thank you so much. Bro, you respond quick to those things too. If I can, yeah. Sometimes I'm just on it. You're just like in seconds. I'm like, oh shit, so I responded already. Okay. It depends on how toxic they are. If they're toxic, then I get to it faster. Did you bring up the, the no gratuitous email. inclusivity uh, comment part here? <laughs> no, um, because I only cared about the name. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right. You guys want to do a little news? Yeah, a little bit. A little tiny bit. Uh, we're not actually going to get to do a little tiny bit because DC is talking Night Terrors this week. Oh, no. In fact, yeah, they chose the same day. Well, they probably didn't know about it, but the same day that the Night Terrors news dropped was the same day that the distillery stuff dropped. Uh, and so DC announced 23 books. 23 and i don't even believe this represents the totality of their july solicits damn it can't oh, yeah on are we on, on like night terror name alone night yeah. terror and then i think the only other non-night terror they announced was the superman last days of lex and another book but we'll talk those about are those black label yeah yeah the well, black label stuff um okay yeah so it's a laundry list it is a there's a checklist here and it is mega long um we're not going to be able to spend like a great amount of time talking about all this stuff uh but we will hit on the the major points so night terrors is the next major dc event it is going to take over the line in july and august not dissimilar from like uh convergence yeah. or uh any of those are they moving state, offices again i'm not <laughs> All the way sure why DC does this, but I'm assuming it's for the same reason that Marvel does it with the X line. Push something back so that right. they have a room for something else. Yeah. Right. Like get their ducks in a row. Yeah. With this over here and then have this event. Catch them on dead over. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. Essentially. Um, and so Joshua Williamson is going to be uh, spearheading this. Howard Porter is involved as well. Um, and this this event is going to span an incredible amount of comics. Uh, we're going to see not only the four issue Night Terrors event itself, a ton of 
issues announced. I'm going to run through a few of these, and if I say anything that sounds interesting, I guess just stop me. Um, Night Terror's First Blood, number one, Joshua Williamson and Howard Porter, they're going to be the ones that are are kicking us off with that. Um, The Night Terror's uh, team proper is Joshua Williamson, Giuseppe Camuncoli, Stefano Nessi, and Casper Wingard. So that's a pretty solid creative team. Uh, What is Night Terror's about? Night Terrors is a book where essentially the DC universe is going to be uh, overrun by their nightmares Uh, and their greatest fears are going to come to life and all that kind of jazz that you can kind of sort of think about fear itself. That's where my mind went um, as I was reading some of this. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's going to be a lot of that. The covers really give a lot of way in terms of at least what we can expect. This is very much a DC horror event. We knew it was coming because of 5G and, and the 5G files that there would eventually be a horror event. We're getting that now. Um, and so that's really the long and short of it as far as what this event actually is. Um, there's going to be a Zatanna book by Dennis Culver and David Baldion. That's kind of cool. Not bad about that. Yeah. Always love Zatanna. Yeah, it's Culver, uh, too, uh, from uh, Doom Patrol. Yep, right, mm-hmm. DP. Yep. Oh, yeah. Right. All right. I love All DP. Right. Uh, wow, whoa, hey. <laughs> uh, Joker, number one, by Matthew Rosenberg and Stefano Raffelli, or Raphael. Um, oh, thanks. Hey, what's Joker's biggest fear? Who cares? Oh, I saw the tie the cover for this one. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a desk <laughs> job. <laughs> I actually like Kale's answer more. What? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw. Yeah, Tyler. Tyler <laughs> on Twitter said that uh, this is fucking brilliant. And I went, "Is it?" You question my taste. <laughs> I am now. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so I'm sorry if I'm messing you up. By the way, I'm just trying to go where I feel it's interesting. No, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, there's a Teen Titans Night Terrors by Andrew Constant and Scott Goodwell Goodluski. Goodluski. Goodluski, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't have all the covers, Sean, so you can just go wherever. Okay. Yeah, I feel like most of this is books that already exist that are tempted with the same or similar creative team, and then a bunch of creators that DC is giving a shot. Alex Packnadel's on this list. He's obviously an up and comer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I already mentioned Dennis Culver. Uh, Danny Lore's here. Uh, Andrew Constance, not a name I'm familiar with. I don't know if that if, if they're new or not. Um, but a lot of books by a lot of people. Inherently, I don't think I'm interested in this, and it's because I feel like the last two DC events have just been DC's heroes in magic event dc's heroes in horror event i didn't care for lazarus planet very much i felt like it was a little bit confusing so many random one-offs um and i don't think it was necessary this feels like that where the hell's amanda waller at oh that thing that was teased yeah i forgot about that that's all i want to know you're gonna have to find out silver lining silver lining you could potentially take a whole two months off. It's in the summer. You can enjoy a nice little vacation from uh, DC Comics. 
Can you oh. imagine? See how wonderful. God. <laughs> Tyler, that what you just said is akin to the worlds without a Justice League. Imagine a world without the comics pals, a world where we get to create our own universes and have whatever we want. A world where we don't have to hear Marco talk about Swamp Thing. Um, a world Ooh, where we don't oh, read thanks. bad comic book events. That is not the world we live in. We live in Night Terror's world. So July, August, this is what we're reviewing on Pals Bulls. Thank God it isn't overlapping with Sense of Sinister, though. So. Oh. That'll be ending. Um, issue two, <laughs> That's though. my Night Terror. Which <laughs> <laughs> uh, this issue... last issue gets pushed back. <laughs> the 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 one interesting piece here for me for yeah. number number two is solicited to have Wesley Dodds team up with Batman and Dead Man to uncover one of his oldest cases. All I'm right, down. all I, right. Uh huh. I'm in. Yep. I'm in. Yep. I'm in. See, uh, I didn't want to do the solicits because I knew this was gonna happen. I knew Dodds nerds. I knew something cool was gonna be said, and then and then we were gonna somehow turn around this event. I just want you guys hey, to hold, join hey, no, me. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. All I said was Wesley Dodds is in it. So All I'm right. gonna read it. All right. I'm not happy about it. You might not even like it. I probably you're, won't even like it. You're gonna read it anyway, because the first issue actually features Boston Brand. I AKA Dead Man. Dead Man too. Love alliteration. But like Sandman's top guy. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and Dodds. Back to back. Is Sandman Dodds is- in a, uh Sandman uh mystery whatever? Yeah. Yeah, yep, I okay. knew it. I knew I knew that name from somewhere. And I knew it was attached to something I don't like. <laughs> Wesley Dodd's Sandman to me is Marco Swamp Thing. I like I don't I don't go on about it because I'm not a nerd, but like I gotta show up for it. You gotta, you gotta show up for it on your comic book podcast. You know, hey, one... you think I wanna be here? <laughs> The one thing that jumped out to me, because uh, we're not breaking down all the solicits, right? Yeah. Um, was that Angel Breaker, which is like a new creation that Williamson made in the, the Batman versus Robin. Um, she is getting Doctor Destiny's em- like gem thing. Um, uh, whatever that oh, thing from sick. Sandman's called. Uh, so if that's uh, hard, sorry, back. who 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 is that? Angel Breaker. Um. She was like one of the League of Assassins, the League of Shadows Assassins, like new character within the last year created. She's on the oh, okay. on the stream now. Yeah. Um, but she's getting Dr. Destiny's gem of whatever it is. So. Whoa. Wait, that's cool. Yo, this is this is really cool. Who's the covers are cool. I would recommend just like checking out the, the article. There's some really interesting covers on there. Can we talk about real fast the 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 variant? For night, this might be one of my favorite variants of any uh, any oh, comic book ever. There's two of them that I really like. It's Batman standing in front of that giant bat god creature. I don't have that one. Okay, and then the one where Bruce Wayne is ingesting or or birthing a bat. Yeah, that that was no. Disgusting. I, I stopped giving uh, screen time to any kind of bat character giving birth after the Joker situation. Okay, all right. Fair <laughs> I'm more excited about the the covers than I am the actual story. But I will I will read it and give it a chance. Joshua Williamson's still great. Yeah. All these creators are great, and uh, we will we will be reading a lot of this. If only had a way of collecting these digital variants. If only. Damn, these are rad. Yeah, they really are. 
I gotta tell you this uh this Jay Lee Batman uh Boston brand one. Yeah. I hate Jay Lee and this one is fire. Get all Oh yeah, this is a really yeah, good cover good. as well. Yeah. But they get a shit on it, Kale. I'm gonna be upset. No, no, it's fucking fire. <laughs> yeah, so uh there are going to be many, many incentive covers and things like that. I'm personally gonna try for the Bruce birthing a bat cover because that is just disgusting and crazy um but the jury's out on whether or not this is going to be a must read and you can find out at least you can find out our take on pals pulls whenever we get around to that um this starts july 11th i believe i'm i'm right i'm down uh dc and horror makes a lot of sense uh july may 6th may 6th uh, and I think it, it it works well for the universe. So I'm interested to get this. Sorry, do, does this start May 6th or July 11th? It starts May 6th uh, with the free comic book day special edition. Yeah. And then it starts officially July 4th. July 4th. Is the is when we get the first blood and some of the tie-ins. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. The Night Terrors number one of four. Drops July 11th. Right. Okay. So lots of dates to keep track of. We will be reviewing these. You guys will hear our thoughts. Uh, let's let's move on to the other things that DC did want us this week. Uh, because we learned about Mark Wade getting a Superman book. But not quite the way he probably wants it. <laughs> yet. <laughs> They keep dangling that Superman carrot in front of a man. They gave him world's finest. For those of you who don't know, uh, he was banned from being able to write Superman. Uh, Mark Wade <laughs> was banned because he upset Paul Levitz um, uh, because he was a part of a, of a some kind of like a coup like that. That involved uh, Miller and Morrison and Tom Payer and a variety of different people, and it caused problems within DC. And so his punishment was that he would not be allowed to write Superman, um, and that was kept uh, that was kept in play. In fact, uh, when they offered they offered him Superman when Paul Levitz was gone, they offered him Action Comics, but Dan Didio was like, "Yeah, that's not going to be happening. You're not going to be writing uh, Superman." <laughs> And so then he swore off DC. Like, but now, yeah, Dan Didio's gone. Levitz is gone. Uh, Wade's back, and he's getting Superman: Last Days of Lex Luthor. He's going to be teaming up with the uh, artist of the artist of of the twenty twenties, uh, apparently Brian Hitch. Bro, dude needs to chill for real. He's not having those uh, problems with his art anymore. Nope, he is fully oh, man, confident. Cranking it out. There oh, is. he's cranking. Come back. He is cranking. Uh, and so this is gonna be uh this, this is this is what this is what the solicit is. Um in Superman, the last days of Lex Luthor, Superman learns Lex is dying and wants the man of steel to help him find the cure for whatever is causing his rapid decline. While the world wants to say good riddance to Luther, Superman will go to the ends of the universe through different dimensions and across time to save his foe. But why does he want to save the person who spent his life trying to destroy him? And will he even be able to find the solution? 
Because he's Superman, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Right. A- answer to both, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Mark Wade said, for the first time, Superman's fighting the tide of public opinion, embarking on a mission that billions of people outright oppose. But he has his reasons, partly because of who he is, but partly because of a debt he feels he owes. And readers of Superman Birthright, which this is me speaking, is a previous Mark Wade book, yeah. back to Mark, might already guess what that perceived debt is. Together, Superman and Lex are racing the clock in search of a cure as they travel the breadth of the super universe from Atlantis to Kandor to the Phantom Zone, all spectacularly reimagined by Brian Hitch. Lex, you've given me so many things over the years. You've given me things to do. You've been my best friend. You've given me enemies. You've given me a reason to fly around and and do all these things. Of course, of course, I'll go to the end of the universe to find a cure for you. Of course I will. I'm Superman. My issue is Lex even asking for help. That's that's where I have an issue. But, you know, Lex is always up to his own, you know, devious motions. Ploy. I think it'll probably be akin to the way that Lex is sort of asking, quote unquote, Superman for help in the Superman comic now, where he's trying to manipulate him and control him. But really, he's trying he needs Superman for something. This will probably be similar, except Superman will be much more inclined to help for whatever Mark Waid is referencing in the quote I read. Honestly, the part that's least attractive to me is actually Brian Hitch. Just because I don't feel like his, I don't feel like his Superman gives Superman to me. It's not giving (laughs) Superman. (laughs) Yeah. Not for me. Is it, is it the shape? He's very, uh, pyramid-y, you know? Yeah. It's a shape. Yeah. Like his body's more square. And the limbs are very he looks like a basketball player. Yeah. He looks like a yeah, that's a good yeah. And and I also feel like Venom also looks like this. Yeah, a little, everyone's a little gangly, you know? Yeah, there's a gangliness going on of late. Not hating, but yeah. I just don't feel like I am interested in this. Yeah, same. Uh, it, Go ahead, sorry. It just doesn't the premise doesn't appeal to me because I feel like it's you know, not that Wade can't knock it out of the park and, and won't do something incredible, but it's all it all feels fairly obvious. My other worry is are are we in a uh, uh oversaturation for Superman at this point too? Like which is weird to say because you know we haven't. For a while, but there's a lot of Superman going on right now. But but I think it's good Superman, and I think so far, like what what um, uh, PKJ has been doing has been like just knocking it out of the park. And so for me, I think this doesn't seem like it's pulling from the same uh, concept of Superman. To Kale's point, I think Mark Wade would probably do a really good job, but. It's not that more wholesome character that I'm now like attracted to. I, I, I'm drawn to that aspect of the character. And I don't know if that's going to be showcased here. Even a black label 
Superman book kind of turns me off a little bit. Yeah, it, it has connotation. I don't want to see his dick. I could stand to see his dick. I mean. You want to see the super sausage? <laughs> I mean, listen, I want to see what makes the man super. True, true. All right. Fair enough. The, fair the enough. man of steel, as it were. Steel libido. Um, so we'll be getting this, but I don't I don't actually see a release date on this. Um yeah, I'm not sure that there is one. But oh, July 25th. July 25th. So a little bit longer to wait, but uh I agree. I think I'd actually rather a traditional Mark Wade Superman book, but both action and Superman proper are in the middle of runs from creators that are very large. And I don't see them kicking off either one of them for Mark Wade's eventual crowning achievement of a Superman or action comics run. Mm. So I, I kind of agree with Kel. I'm, I'm, I'm eh on this overall, but that's not the only Mark Wade announcement we got this week because Mark Wade is going to be writing a Teen Titans series. Uh, World's Finest Teen Titans is going to be a book that he is teaming with Emanuela Lupacino for of Wonder Woman fame. Uh, this is going to be dropping in July as well, July 11th. Um, and it seems like it's going to be in the stylings of World's Finest. Almost like he's building out like a... Not an imprint, but like a little mini universe. I'm fine yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah, re- recanonizing the older uh, stuff, the history like, of DC, yeah, and recontextualizing say, a lot of stuff too. Would you yeah. say Silver Age? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rebirthing so, it all, right? Yeah, and I actually kind of like what uh, what Jeff Johns is doing with the the Golden Age uh, characters, right? The the Legion and the new golden age that he did and things like that. So they're kind of concurrently sort of bringing some of that stuff back. Um, Yeah. I mean, this, this is pretty cool. Uh, It's spinning directly out of world's finest. Uh, It's going to be led by Robin. Of course, we're getting the team Titans Uh, when they're not fighting alongside their justice league mentors. They're managing their image and cultivating the rapid fan base. That helps them save the world as all the while a danger from the shadows intends to tear these friends apart before they ever reach the big time before they were the Titans of the DCU. They were the teen Titans and you won't want to miss this fresh take on their origins. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing here is adding bubble Bumblebee as a founding Titan. Yeah. Uh, Which is like it was gratuitous uh, inclusivity. Um, No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where they are. If this is founding the, you know, the Teen Titans, or if this is just a little bit later, um, yeah, I'm all about this. The like influentiary aspect of this, you know, they're managing their image and the fan base that turns me off because oh, if I, they say Instagram once, I'm out. Like, <laughs> I, like I'm I'm not interested to hear about you know their. I'm not interested to hear that part of their story. I'm sure it might it might work, but and if it does, then maybe you know as I read it, it'll work out. But off rip, I I don't I don't care for that aspect of their lives. That's not the superheroics that come for the Teen Titans for. Also, like just in timeline wise, it it confuses me if they do something like that. So, 
What do you mean? I think what, what what I like about World's Finest is that it kind of plays in this evergreen area that I think this needs to also do. I, hmm. I would I would be surprised if it's influencer sort of in the way it means today. Yeah. Because the Titans have always sort of had to manage expectations and the way they look because they live in a giant house that's a T yeah. literally on the San Francisco Bay, right? Um, and they're always held to a higher account because of the Justice League. So a lot of their stories back in the day, you know, the new Teen Titans and um, uh, stuff like that, the, the uh, Perez and Wolfman stuff, a lot of it was about like Donna Troy being a model and Starfire, you know, doing these things and like having to sort of answer to the public to a certain degree, probably because they're kids. What it would be, what it would have been like to be a young pop star in the 90s, early 2000s, to be like yeah. a member of NSYNC or something like that. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. These, I'm into uh, it. These covers, though, Sam Crisani, uh, man. Yeah, that's hot stuff. I love this Doc Shane or Robin, too. Mm-hmm. You know what? Top Lane makes a really good point, too, though. Uh, he says, I mean, they have to make it modern because technically this happened, quote, years ago. Um, so it's it is that sort of weird time slide scale thing that comics have to do where it's like, well, how old are these characters, really? If you're putting them that deep in the past where there were no influencers or things like that how old are these people like it isn't yeah. nightwing is like what probably like 25 27 somewhere in there yeah, yeah i've always sure. put him low low 30s yeah sure even then for him yeah. to for him to be our age you know that's yeah. where you're talking 90s so yeah mm, okay yeah. fair uh yeah this is gonna be cool i think and mark wade has really been hitting it out the park like since coming back to dc pretty much everything he's done has landed um yeah atomic hound is right this is definitely a must buy this is a good question for the podcast what's a recommended modern titans book that's from aaron louise i think the last time the team titans were really really relevant was jeff johns i agree not to not to continually blow smoke but uh, you know, his run genuinely like brought a ton of attention to the Teen Titans and he did it so well uh, up to just a couple of issues after um, Infinite Crisis, uh, you know, and he talks about it on the podcast, uh, you know, when Tony Daniel left like that whole run there, you don't want to miss it. Uh, but it it really he really uses um uh, 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 the relationships that were already built uh, from the characters in Young Justice to build conflict in Teen Titans. So uh, this that era of Teen Titans is uh, Tim Drake, Robin, Connor Kent, Superboy. Uh, you know, Impulse turns Kid Flash. Um, and one of the massive arcs is about. Superboy learning that he's part clone of Lex Luthor and what that does to him 
eventually uh leading to uh being activated as like a bizarro clone um he like shaves his head and goes nuts and it wrecks the um the team dynamic and his relationships completely is it like the match stuff uh i think that came after okay I, honestly, I don't know of a good Teen Titans book modern <laughs> outside of that. Like, I've never read one that I enjoyed, to be honest. But, I mean, to to that extent, like, that was 2003. Yeah. And I don't know if there's been a good enough Teen Titans run since. Uh, to p- Top Lane makes uh, uh, references after graduation day. Teen Titans became such a great book. Uh, Sylph says... Uh, uh, Nightwing New Order could be a good standalone book. So there's there are options for the Titans, but um, I think this this is going to sit in nicely for people who want to see the Titans as they were. Yeah, I hope so. And I've never seen that before, so I'm definitely going to be buying this. Well, not to be outdone, Marvel has announced a lot of books. Um, some of these were announced at MegaCon, but they've been They've been dropping a few different creative teams every week. And so we know what the Fall of X lineup is. And a lot of these are books that already exist in some form or fashion. So we won't really belabor those. Um, We'll talk about the new ones, though. Um, And so Fall of X is just the next, like, status quo within the Krakoan status quo. This is not the end of Krakoa. They've been decently clear about that. Um, Krakoa will live on after this in some way, but we don't know what the ramifications of this will be yet. But we do know that the X-Men are on their heels. And so the Fall of X lineup includes X-Men, Astonishing X-Men, or rather, I'm sorry, Astonishing Iceman, which is a new book. Uh, that is going to have the creative team of uh, one of our favorites, Steve Orlando, hey, hey. with art from Vincenzo Caratu. Um, Orlando said, have I not been saying my next Marvel project was cool as hell? Astonishing Iceman has been not just a joy, but a challenge in the best possible kind, because Fall of X means Iceman's life is more dangerous and harrowing than ever. But Bobby is a hero to the core, and there's no danger he's met in in he's met in whose face he won't laugh. That was hard to say. Um, yeah, so that's that's astonishing Iceman. Man, nothing can get me to care about Iceman. Nope. Not <laughs> the, the closest was Bendis because he he made Iceman an Omega level mutant, and like future Iceman was like a snow wizard. But like that was as far as it got. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. But like who cares? Yeah, cool. Yo, what's the Iceman hate? What he's a team player. Co- I don't. I don't care about him as a solo book, to be honest. Yeah, he's a great F- part of an ensemble, but that's it for me. Catch him with Spider Man and his amazing friends, and that's the that's the least people I want to see in an Iceman book. Maybe we can get Uncanny Spider Man and his amazing friends coming up. But. It's just one of those things where like not every character needs or can sustain a solo title. Obviously, this isn't probably going to be. And, you know, an ongoing have big hopes for this. Right. So why do it to me? 
I think that goes back to some of the messaging and things we've talked about on the show recently, where it's like, who's this book for? I don't I mean, know. It is. It is a is a you know uh, a gay character headlining a book. So wonderful. If they market it like that, then maybe yeah, there right. could be a. That's market. that's that is not enough, and I think that 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 to me is the worst way to sell things. I think if you can sell us on an astonishing Iceman that we need because it's a good comic, then that's the sticking point. You know, I I am not like I I'm black, right? I what? did not buy what? every I'm <laughs> shot, big shock. Crazy. Um oh, we haven't made that joke in a long time. <laughs> I do not buy every black character's comic, and I don't buy every comic book written by a black person. You okay? do like black label. Yes, and guess what? There are no black characters in black <laughs> label. So for me, it's not and not everybody thinks like me, but for me, it's not about the characters or the creators so much as it is about am I going to get value for my dollar comics ain't cheap so if the book's good I'll buy it I don't care if they're gay straight bi trans black white whatever as long as it's good that's what I need and we need more characters like Iceman to have starring roles just tell a great story let's get that Hickman Iceman if we're going to do Iceman bring it on that's the thing make me like Iceman Right. By like, I in on paper, Iceman is cool as hell, so to speak. I can't believe I just made that pun after Steve Orlando did that. It makes me furious. <laughs> you made it, you made it before too. He didn't realize it. Uh, but the character is just, he's nothing. He's boring Johnny Storm. That's it. He, I, literally. He's, he's yeah. worse than Johnny Storm. Johnny Storm's at least a, a, a lovable brat. Yeah, I don't he's, get Iceman's appeal. He's a cool guy. He does dirt bikes. That's cool. <laughs> I like that you just know that fact about him just offhand. Well, it's in the movie. Yeah. Oh, all right, fine. I forgot about that. Um, so let's talk about let's not talk about Iceman anymore. There's uh Wolverine has a book. That's just gonna be the same book we've been getting. Yep. Uh Children of the Vault is another new title that was announced. Um, we're actually gonna have a new to Marvel creator, uh, Dennis Camp, actually, um, oh, is going hey. to be uh, oh, writing Bloodshot. this one. Yeah, 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 which was great, I thought. The Bloodshot book um, with artist uh, Luca Maresca of the, from the Photon book that we recently just had. Um, and so this is going to follow Cable and Bishop mm. in a four-issue miniseries. Where they will encounter the children of the vault who are mega evolved super mutants that we saw during Hickman's X-Men run. Remember that time period where we were all like, what the hell is going to happen when that vault opens up and all the cool stuff we anticipated that nothing ever happened with really? Um, these are the characters that were there. Um, but I don't even know if we ever really saw them. Like like they're they're coming from there. No. The furthest we got no, was am the I wrong? We we haven't seen them, but we've gotten the fallout from Wolverine and uh, Sink. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I, I I was just saying like these characters come from the vault. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. This almost feels like putting them in this like throwaway four issue mini feels like it's like all right we gotta close that plot hole somehow. Yeah. Tie the knot. Yeah. Which is a shame because I think that was such a cool aspect of, um, like I I remember when we were. 
uh, was it when they first went in and they didn't address it for a few issues. And we're just like, we're waiting for that issue to drop. We need to know what happens. Great like, issue. Hungry. Yeah. And a phenomenal, right? Like, I, but this feels, I, I just hope the payoff here isn't just like a wet fart. Mm. To, to, to me, when you talk about payoff, how can you pay off a story that another creator told? Yeah. I'm not saying that's literally impossible. Obviously, it has happened. But if Hickman was setting something up, is Dennis Camp the person to, you know, like resolve that? Are there like Hickman sacred texts somewhere? You know, <laughs> I believe that there are. Yeah, and yeah, I believe yeah. that I need to see them. Yeah. He wrote two Bibles. One was for X-Men and one was for the gods. I want to see the X-Men one. And if someone knows how to get that, let's talk off air. Um, Shit, let's talk on air. <laughs> I think there's some Minecraft Discord somewhere where people, people are leaking it. So. <laughs> yeah, listen. If if they can, if you can leak the the federal the the government documents that talk about the <laughs> Russian war and everything else on Discord, I'm pretty sure somebody can copy some files from Jonathan Hickman's X Men Bible and pass them my way. To Thank be you. honest, I trust Disney over the government in terms of uh, locking stuff Keeping down. Secrets, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. Remember, remember in Infinity War when everybody saw the trailer. And how much shit that Disney flipped and 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 redid. Yeah, Thor's yeah. eye was in it because he had, we didn't know he lost it yet in Straight Ragnarok and yeah. all these different things. Disney has it on lock. Yep. The government should keep their secrets with them. Uh, Invincible Iron Man. That's going to be continuing on. Jerry Duggan's been telling a story there. We know that that's relating to the mutants. Every book we're talking about in some way, shape, or form relates to the mutants. Iron Man is directly connected. Um, the next new book, though, is Dark X-Men. This one is by uh, Steve Fox with art by Jonas Scharf. Um, the solicit reads, welcome to the Dark X-Men. Hope the world survives the experience. You. Great. So uh, I have a question on this. I have the cover on the screen here. Um, a, Azazel. Cool to see him back. Maybe. Yeah. notoriously one of the worst parts of one of the worst runs of X-Men. Um, but we'll see where that goes. Um, the Wolverine on the cover. Is this the days in X-Lives and X-Deaths of Wolverine? Wolverine? So I'm pretty sure this is going deep. Okay. okay. There, is a there is a character from, I think I saw him in the Wolverine video game from the Sega Genesis. That is a Wolverine clone. I'm pretty sure he's called Albert and he's just he's just the Wolverine clone. Albert? I think so. Like I could be completely Oh, you're wrong. right. I, I, yeah. Rick the Wolverine clone. I I literally only ever seen him in that video game. Yo, bro, this is a Yeah, I think this is him. Yep, it's him. Random, <laughs> wow. random. How they brought the my man Albert. You figure back. that out, dude. I played that game religiously, it scared the shit out of me. Yeah, Albert. What the fuck? wow, wow. And, oh, and Zero's Andre. on the team, too. Okay, I play him in Marvel Snap all the time. Hey, yes, that's Who is? cool. Zero, he's one of the I guess, is that him on the cover without his costume on? I don't know. I guess that's nasty. If so, yeah, um, put the costume back on, buddy. Who else do we have? Uh, well, uh, uh, Gambit, Archangel, 
Madeline Pryor, Havoc. Um, and who is that character? M one. Okay, M The Mario Saint Croix. Uh, yeah, it's a. Do we know anything about this book? Yeah. Uh, so we know a little bit about it. Um, this. De- this is from the uh, solicit. This deadly group will band together to fill the void left by the X-Men and are seemingly the perfect team to combat the harsh conditions of Fall of X. Their hearts are in the right place, but under the unpredictable leadership of the Goblin Queen and operating out of New York's new limbo embassy, will this team's dark ways turn the tide for mutant kind or make things far worse? Okay. Sounds fine. Oh, thanks. I, okay. I I like a good X Men villain team, you know, like uh uh the Sabretooth book going on right now is fun. The uh, Mar- uh wasn't Marauders, it was the the one with Hellions. Hellions, yes, thank you, thank you, Cal. Yeah, that was great. Um, so this could be like a sleeper hit. That really doesn't have any real stakes. Any feelings on Steve Fox? Uh, cool name. Yeah, all right. <laughs> you got yeah. that right. You got that right. Got to appreciate a badass name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uncanny Avengers. We've talked about that. That's going to be basically bringing back the Rick Remender concept of the Unity Squad, where it's members of the X-Men teaming up with members of the Avengers to be basically like a forward-facing expression of the beautiful happiness and unity that exists between mutants and humans. We know how that turns out. Um. So we'll move on. Realm of X. Now, Tyler, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know anything about this. Do you do you know anything about it? I know that it has uh, Magic and Danny Moonstar on it on the team, but also Typhoid Mary's on the team. Huh. Which is a weird kind of she's a mutant canonically, but like she's never really dealt with the mutants. Uh, mm-hmm. I can get the creative team in a second here. Uh, that, that uh, I believe this was. Yeah, so uh, Realm of X is by it has Danny Moonstar, Magic, Ma- Marrows in it, Dust and Curse with Typhoid Mary. Um, oh, and wait, this is Torn Gronbeck, right? This is the Torn Gronbeck book. Yeah. Okay, I did okay. see this. Yeah, this is gonna be hot. Torn Gronbeck's great. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Been putting on good stuff. Absolutely. So that's that should be fun. Uh. We also got X-Men Red, again, more of what we know. Um, Alpha Flight. Yeah, this. Let's go. Ed Brisson. And Scott Godlewski, who we just talked about. Um, This is going to be a five-issue series. It's going to have two different Alpha Flight teams. And it's going to include classic Alpha Flight team members with new ones. Uh, we'll see Guardian, Puck, Snowbird, Shaman, and then unannounced newer characters. I think uh, Dakin's on there, it looks like, which is ooh. interesting. Dakin? Oh, Ran- hmm. what random? Well, he's hmm. he's um dating, uh, uh, not Northstar, uh, his sister. Uh, East sorry. Weast star, I don't know. <laughs> Aurora, Aurora, his her name is. So yeah, I, okay. I think that could be the connection there. Okay. Um, I have no. I love Ed Brisson. I think Ed Brisson is extremely talented, but I just don't care about Alpha Flight. They're fun. Like, yeah, they're fun when you get like a good like Wolverine has to 
jump in with them and do a thing. Right? Good romp. I like Puck. I do Puck's like Puck. cool. Yeah. I always thought Guardian was like rip off Cyclops. Hmm. I thought he was more of a rip off. Uh, uh, what's the Russian one? Red Guardian. Vindicator. Vindicator. Oh, yo, Vindicator. Great name, wow. too. It's, it's a yes. waste of name. One of the best names in comics. Wow, I haven't thought about Vindicator in years and years and years. That's a crazy throwback. On the on the cover, there's like people in the shadows, and I'm pretty sure it's Dakin, Northstar, Aurora, and then there's this guy with like he almost looks like a mix between Manta Ray and Doorman. Um, I cannot tell you who this character is. Oh, I know who it is. I actually have this one. It's the Uncanny Spider-Man. Uh, it's not though, but yeah, <laughs> it's 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 not. Listen, um. I try not to overreact to solicits <laughs> because you never know, right? But this shit is my literal night terror. This is what I need snapped out of my brain. Yep. Well, I need Will Smith to come with that machine from uh from uh Men in Black. Uh-huh. Oh, and just sure. the what? I think they call it the phaser. The thing that wipes your brain, I don't remember what it was called, but I need that done to me. Uncanny Spider-Man is by Cy Spurrier with art by Lee Garbett. So already I'm I'm trepidatious, okay? And I thought, all right, Spider-Man, how can you go wrong? It's Spider-Man, right? Then I saw the cover, and I see what looks like Miles Morales' costume, but it's fucking... Nightcrawler. Let's go. No, not let's go. Let's go to hell. Let this go to hell. Let's go to hell. Let's go. Why? Neuralizer. Sylph's got it. The neuralizer. neuralizer. Thank you. I need to be neuralized. Why is Nightcrawler wearing a, a particularly a Miles Morales s costume? I think that's a mistake. I genuinely do. Because to me, it immediately cheapens the Miles outfit. And mm. Already struggling to maintain himself. You can't knock it off. And then Nightcrawler is Spider-Man. It's not like comics haven't done things like this. Daredevil was, uh, or Daredevil was Iron Fist at some point. So Superman was Batman. Like these things happen, all right? But this one just rubbed me the wrong fucking way. It's the second time this happened. The Amazing Night Nightcrawler Crawler. is a comic book. It was during the uh, Age of X-Men thing. Uh, he played this, you know, kind of stuntman celebrity slash superhero. Um, and it was a play on Spider-Man in a way. But was he wearing the costume? No, but he was wearing the colors of Spider-Man, which okay. I guess are the colors of Nightcrawler. But uh, Guys, what the fuck is going on with Cyspreyer and Nightcrawler? They both want to fuck. I Each other? don't. Hmm. At this point, he's he, he's just waiting for the the chance to write erotic fiction. <laughs> this the, the old John Byrne book, method, yeah. This book oh, no. has been reset like three times. Yeah, in the yeah. Krokoan era. Why are we still going with it? I'm not. Like, can I? I like I like Nightcrawler. Can we get something else? 
And and the fact that it's like still tied to this original whatever idea that he's had, which didn't didn't come out like it didn't happen. Yeah. I, I will say this. I kind of like that. And I'm kind of excited for it. Hi, Sean. I <laughs> <laughs> I like the I like the idea of hold on, hold Nightcrawler. On, on. Nightcrawler's kind of been this like guy that's been trying to get Krakoa to work behind the scenes. He he's like, all right, I'm gonna come up with a religion. Oh, never mind. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the cops of Krakoa. And like it still falls apart. So he's like, you know what? Fuck all that real shit. I don't want to do any of that anymore. I just want to be like, I just want to vibe, man. I just want to be a superhero. And he just does it. I'm, I'm, I like that. I like that. I like it. That read that reads as failure of concept to me. Hmm, that's a good point. Like I Maybe. don't, I don't understand why Sizebury is being allowed to continue, at least in this capacity, when it feels like what he's trying to do, he's just like not accomplished. Like his premises have not worked. So even story wise, they've just not worked. He hasn't done the homework there. Like what what are we doing here? We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, hey, hold on, just one second, one second. Marco, I want you to take a second stab at what you said after Sean uh got up. Well, I'm with you, Tyler. I'm, I'm interested in this. Yeah. I think the costume's no. really cool. I, I, I can't. I can't. I can't handle this. What the fuck are you guys saying right I, now? Because I like how stupid it is. It is dumb. Like, the idea that Nightcrawler is Spider-Man makes no sense. There's nothing about Nightcrawler that says spider. Uh, he's got a tail. Uh, he teleports. There's no spider motif at all. And the idea, he's just like, you know, I'm going to be Spider-Man now. <laughs> it's, it's just so stupid that I like it. I like the idea that Nightcrawler's been through hell. Yeah. And he's lost and confused. I'm with all that. Put on a random mask and go to town. While out. Why do you have to dress as Spider-Man? This feels like, a, like Kale kept saying earlier, gimmick. This feels like a gimmick to me. And I don't need it. I don't. And I definitely don't need it. Never mind. I just don't. I just don't. I can't do this. I will not buy this. I won't buy it. We're not reviewing it. I can't. This is bad. Oh, you're pulling a miracle man on this one. I can't. All right. I'll probably I'll, look. I'll probably change my mind. All right. Yeah. But if I do be prepared for the reckoning during that review, maybe I'm take a week off. Listen, yeah, I'm going to put my foot down as co-owner of this podcast. Like, I don't want to do it. Oh. But, but but there's only four of us, and if the other two want to, then what the heck happens? We leave it to the listeners, right? It's true. <laughs> they decide. They decide. Democratize. All right. So All right. Our, our campaign begins now to let you guys know why you should not vote for Uncanny Spider-Man in the listener pick of whatever week I, this comes I would. I, yeah, that's not the right way to attack that, Sean. you got to say how much you want to read it so that they won't pick it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm pal of the year. Self-proclaimed. I was <laughs> voted. There was a vote. Don't do that to me. I won. Don't take away my winnings. And so I'm saying now, listeners, do not vote for Uncanny Spider-Man whenever it's on the listener poll. Do not do it. Thank you. Uh, Legatus Vaith wants to know if uh, 
it's confirmed Kurt and not the Nightcrawler's version of Spider-Man. I, I guess believe it is confirmed Kurt. Yeah. Sinisters. Yeah. Because yeah. this is after Sins of Sinister, so surely we're Correct. Know, whatever yeah. the fuck. Yeah. And yeah, something happens. Real. We don't know exactly what happens. Just there is there is an a uh, 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 some kind of breaking point with the X Men. Like Dark X Men mentioned, the X Men aren't around anymore. Um. So something happens in the uh, Hellfire Gala that leads to the fall of X. So yeah. we'll have to wait until we get that to sort of start figuring this all out. Um. On premise, though, all seriousness. Is, oh, all with all seriousness. Um. <laughs> <laughs> this is just not. Uh, this is not it for me, but you know, actually, no, before we move on, um, real quick, how do you guys feel about the totality of these announcements and are you excited about anything? It, it's funny. We were, we were always wondering like, what does the fall of X mean? What fall of X, fall of X. Uh, and it turns out it just means the season. <laughs> it just means we're right. getting a whole bunch of new X-Men books in the fall, <laughs> which yeah, I yeah. still don't know. Like, <laughs> what does it mean? I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't, nothing here, frankly, gets me excited. Uh, Murphy put it in the chat, in the Discord, but he, he mentioned the idea of Cable and Bishop working together could have some really good friction. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's interesting. But to be honest, like, that doesn't do anything for me. What, um... If you could recast an X-Men character as another hero, what would it be? <laughs> the Invincible I Cyclops. Uh... I, I, like, I wouldn't. I don't have time for this. <laughs> Why? S- stop it. I like it. I think... Uh, I want to... No, stop it, Tyler. What is, what is, what is your DC X-Men S- team? <laughs> <laughs> I want to go home. Stop it. <laughs> stop it right now. A long flight. God. Miss me with this stuff, man. I don't know. It's like, I, 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 I feel like there's not an attachment anymore. Um, I've, I've been slowly uh, just pulling away, and Wolverine is the only title that I'll follow at the moment. Good book. It's great. It just feels like another line at this point, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and it doesn't, like, things are a bit more disparate now. Like, yeah, we have Sins of Sinister. But, like, that's to whatever person's liking. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, it doesn't hit for me. It, well, it's wild. We always complain about line-wide events. Uh, DC's about to throw a horror one, and I'm more interested in that. And I'm barely interested in that. The Sandman is, is a heavy thing for you, though. Yeah. Uh, Top lane, we know that this is not the end of the Krakoan era. Yeah. So we can expect more stories in Krakoa down the road. We just don't know where the X-Men are going to land. Like, we don't know how this is all going to resolve. But one thing we know for sure is that Krakoa will still be there. and We're still in that era of storytelling. Um, For me, I really... For in the in the what is this the four year Jonathan Hickman experience or experiment? Yeah, I have never cared less. Um, it's just hard. It's just hard. The Dennis Camp book sounds compelling. Uh, that's the Children of the Atom. Uh, the Realm of X that sounds kind of cool with Torin Gronbeck. I'm into that. But everything else, it's like really just a pass. The stuff I'm already reading, I'm reading X Men, X Men Red. That's all cool. But 
new books i i i i i i can't uh, what what if what if nightcrawler is trying to join like a spider verse event event and they're like yo bro you're not even get out of here like i don't know like no it couldn't i like nightcrawler i can't help it he's my sandman <laughs> Sean, want me to go to the next team. slide <laughs> That's so annoying for you to say. <laughs> he's not your Sandman at all. <laughs> he's like he's like the most popular X Man. You're gonna sit here and say he's the he's not the most popular. The fuck he's not. It's Wolverine. Uh, Wolverine. Uh, oh, Nightcrawler okay. may be right. in top. All right, 10. so maybe he's top ten, top and a half. Excuse me. God, I, we can out of here. We could have that argument. We could do. We could do that on another, another comics versus another one scale. Yeah. You know, flies over. If this is how it's going to be. I'm not doing this shit. With you. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a good this... comics versus. Welcome to my world, Kale. That's what I'm dealing with every week with this maniac. Fucking tired of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> With your Kenny Omega shirt, I see you. Yeah, I'm gonna put I I'm gonna put Uncanny Spider Man in the uh, in the Director Bones question thing going forward. <laughs> Yo, yes. If it, that's <laughs> the only thing that can make me hate Doctor Bones more is the, is that piece of shit being in there too. Now, see, what him. if he became Spider Man? That's the real question. I, I want out. Spider Bones. Tyler, I want you for three minutes. Hey, three minutes. Of playtime. Take a lot less than that. Is, is, is this a cue for me to go to a certain slide or is that like a reference? No, you don't get it. That's Spider-Man. Yeah, that's the bone saw thing. Right? Bone saw. Bone yeah. saw is ready. Come on. Yeah, that's when Spider-Man uh, becomes real homophobic all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's ignore that. Let's talk instead. It's a different time. Yeah. Let's chat about everybody's favorite Part of the show where we deep dive into a book or not a book in this case. Uh, let's talk about Twilight of the Superheroes. So for those of you who are unaware, Twilight of the Superheroes is Alan Moore's would-be DC event that aimed to establish an endpoint for DC canon. It first surfaced around 1995 as a pitch document and has been the subject of debate, scrutiny, and controversy ever since. This is part six of our deep dive into Alan Moore's Twilight of the Superheroes, the greatest comic story never told. So last week where we left off, there was a great big war and we saw the Houses of Thunder. We saw the Houses of Steel. We saw the Houses of Titans, Secrets, Justice, so many battle. We saw Constantine's plan start to take shape and now we understand exactly well not quite exactly but sort of where he's going and we still have some questions about exactly what Constantine wanted with the old man that we discussed and what the fate of Twilight is so here we go the greatest protector the earth has ever known has fallen Superman is dead at the hands of the ultimate Sodom Yacht, leaving the planet to be ruled by the combined alien forces. Is this what Constantine envisioned? Earth dominated by yet another set of superpowered individuals? Just before the Horde, 
can begin relishing their victory. A small army of non-power leap into action. Batman's secret cabal, John Constantine and his recruits from the barrio, the Blackhawks, all rising up as humanity takes its last stand. So, all adorned in vibrant, powerful, golden armor, granting them immunity to the otherwise omnipotent Green Lantern power rings. Gold's cruel fate gives humanity a fighting chance. As the two sides reach a standstill, Hal Jordan points out that the alien horde will never relent. They will stop coming through the Zeta Beam until humans stop resisting and accept their new masters. Humans are a crafty set, though, and none among them are as crafty as John Constantine. His big play doesn't end in a fist fight. That's not his style. He has one more trick up his sleeve. The Mobius chair. What the fuck? Constantine spent weeks, maybe more, searching the barrio for an old man. But not just any old man. Metron in disguise. Banished to Earth for sacrificing his morality in search of knowledge, he is forced to live out his life as an ordinary man with no inherent ability to impact Earth's current predicament. All Constantine needed was the chair. As he now explains to the alien invaders with a sly grin on his face, Constantine used the Mobius chair to go to the antimatter universe of Quard. He traded the secrets of the boom tube technology to them for the promise that Earth would be safe from the inevitable invasions the Quardians will ignite across the galaxy with this knowledge. Constantine informs them that right now, as they stand on this battlefield listening to his words, their homeworlds are being invaded by the infinite army of the Quard, led by the Anti-Monitor. The alien warriors they think are chomping at the bit to cross the Zeta Beam and join this fray on Earth are actually engulfed in fights on their own planets that may take centuries to win, should they even be able to win at all. Stunned and horrified by Constantine's revelation, realizing just how badly they had been played, the aliens immediately retreat to their respective homelands, should there even be homes to return to and fight for. The future of humanity is in the hands of human beings. Under the guidance of Batman, the Shadow, and others, they would once again be able to chart their own futures. All super people banished from Earth forever. Constantine pulls out his lighter and a cigarette, holds it to his lips, and smiles as he lights it, knowing that his little games and manipulating the world and that a shot at a genuine utopia was possible for humanity. Now we flash back to a younger, a similarly sly grin on his face, cigarette in hand, as Zatanna frustratedly storms away from a con a confrontation with him, yelling that someday he'll meet somebody slicker than him and he'll find himself in a mess, to which he replies, baby, there ain't nobody smarter than me. Mm -hmm. 
We flash a short time forward now, and John speaks to Rip Hunter, exasperated and confused by the fact that so many of the heroes he warned about the future hadn't heeded his words. Now, well, he thinks Rip told him about the hot blonde he meets at a bar and goes on to be very happy with. Can't be all bad, right? Rip hands John a letter from his future self. Quote, Dear John, the letter begins, and John reads as his older self apologizes for manipulating him so cynically. Manipulated? Future John remembers meeting Rip Hunter. He remembers being conscripted for this mission. Remembers that despite his best efforts to the contrary, Twilight unfolded all the same. He apologizes once again, but reminds his younger self that love awaits and things really do get better eventually. John's been played. He was forced on this mission by his future self, a fruitless mission that would inevitably result in the same outcome. But he doesn't know everything about the way that things end. Furiously, John heads to the nearest bar and proceeds to get sloshed, his head circling around a desire for a revenge unattainable and to grips with the fact that he was played by himself. Excuse me, have you got a light? John hears these words and looks up to see a beautiful woman standing before him, a woman he knows he could fall in love with and spend the rest of his years in bliss with. However, his hatred for his future self, outweighing his love for his current self, he makes the only choice worthy of a self-righteous, cynical bastard such as he. He looks at her blankly and replies, I don't smoke. Now to the words of Alan Moore. He says, and that's it. I hope you can see how it's meant to fulfill all the requirements mentioned earlier. There are opportunities for new characters to get a springboard, old characters to get a shot in the arm, and all the merchandising you can handle in terms of games and stuff, at least as I see it. The Warring Houses idea sounds ideal for a role-playing game or maybe even a video game. The overall continuity is hopefully enhanced without being damaged in any irreversible way, and I think we might get a damn good yarn out of it in the bargain. Anyway, I seem to have gone on far longer than I intended, so I better wrap this up. I'll be looking forward with interest to hearing what any of you have to say about all this when you've had the chance to read it. If any sections are incomprehensible and need clarifying, then please give me a call. I think my, my biggest question coming out of all this is, what the hell did people think when they read this the first time? And what were those phone calls like? I have questions. Please do. Um, what happened to gold? So he got, gold he got melted. He got melted yeah, in the last melted one. Down. He was what, melted and, and used for the armor that the the non-powered heroes were wearing. Oh, remember gotcha. that okay. this is that's what I didn't I didn't register that part. Okay, this is at a time when. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is the reason why they did this. Green lanterns were still just weak to like weak to yellow. yellow. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So. Because they were wearing that armor, the lanterns could not really deal with it, which is yep. what turns the tide in the battle. Gotcha. The, okay. 
And and the aliens were the Thanagarians and the Rain Iranians, right? And and uh, yeah, the, the Hawks Iranians. people. <laughs> They're the, the Thanagarians, yeah. Thanagarians. Oh, sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay, I gotcha. gotcha. It just seems like it, it ultimately was a Constantine book, like it always is, dude. With yeah, more, so. it always is. He gets yeah. his way. He manipulates people. Checks. It's, it certainly is an ending. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I think I think. I was into it, even even with the the Billy Batson uh, snuff film part. Yeah, um, yeah, not into it like that, but like, well, uh, then the end it. kind of fizzles. You know, but, I mean, it feels like a Tom ending. King ending. Actually, it feels like the the ending was issue eleven, and the solo issue twelve was this Constantine stuff that I didn't really care about. Well, th- I I should I should say that is maybe maybe I didn't tell the story very well. Maybe I shouldn't have framed it this way and doing this last uh, piece of the actual story as, you know, the, the, the finale of the battle and epilogue. the after the, the epilogue. Maybe that was not the way to do it. Is that how it was pitched? Was it pitched chrono- chrono- chronologically or was it pitched yeah. all over the place? No, the way I the way I lay it out is the okay. no, that's not you then. That's just how the story is then. I think though, I think though, um, Classy Ulysses points out that the Martian Manhunter twist was mind-boggling. I think that is like the the thing, mm. you know. Like we've been gearing up for this war on Earth, the whole book pitch. The the alien stuff, like that's to the side. Like they were coming after Superman. Oh, he's gone now? Great. Like Superman and his family, they they were going to be the challenge, but they're gone, so eh. And, you know, it's worth pointing out that if we were reading this comic book, you know, the battle between Superman and Sodom Yacht and the Green Lanterns would probably be one of the coolest things ever. Sure. Like, yeah. in, in my mind, as I was reading that, I was picturing... Uh, in the last episode, I was picturing what that would look like, and I gotta say that like that had to be so cool. And at the time, um, it, it like Sodom Yacht was relevant, you know, right? Yeah, absolutely. It would have felt like a, a wrestler, like a like a fan favorite wrestler getting a big a big push, you know? Yeah, yeah like a Brock Lesnar year. And I think the dominoes falling accordingly, seeing what Constantine was really working on, having that bang after bang after bang of revelations and reveals. Uh, I I think it would have worked. I, I'm a little surprised at your guys' reaction, to be honest. What? I, I, well, I, I I think I enjoyed that. Like that wrap up, I, I think is pretty typical of a more story. Like you have yeah. the big yeah. big conflict, and then um, he just has like an epilogue to say something maybe thoughtful. Yeah, I I thought he knocked it out. Like for it's me, anti smoking is the. <laughs> I know what worked. that lines up too. Um, I, I like yeah, that. the yeah. thing that the thing the thing that bugs me is the Metron chair. Yeah, like yeah. I, it, it, to me the uh, the Deus Ex Machina of that. Yeah. really like, boy, that stands out. Okay, so uh, that is one instance where um, if this were actually printed, it's clear to me based on having read this that Alan Moore would have seeded that stuff out. So by yeah. the time, yeah, yeah. yeah. My issue is if they depower him, he doesn't have the chair, you know, like, so how does he get the chair? But I, again, that's a writer will write, will write the explanation for that. So, yeah. Yeah. The the general, 
like ideas that he is stuck. He can't do anything with the chair. He can't leave Earth. He can't do anything. So I don't know how. I'm sure he would have found a way around that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You you, yeah. you write it. That's how. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I, I always hate the critique. It's like, well, how does this happen? I'm like, well, figure it out. You write it. You know what I mean? So yeah. Any any lingering questions about the story? Uh, so I, I guess Batman so. Batman's team wins, right? Yes. The so humans win. Yeah. the humans win. And now they will be able to basically restart society. Uh, um, but then how do how do you get rid of like the superpowered people, right? Like they're dead. Oh. Aliens went and wrecked shit. The, the alien so the so I'll explain what Constantine's plan was. Constantine's plan was I'm going to make allies with everybody, but I need Steel and Thunder specifically to lose. But in the midst of their losing, I need them to also kill the whole Justice League and the whole Titans. And then the aliens have to come and finish the strongest of the remaining players, which is Mm -hmm. what Sodom Yacht does. He kills Superman, and that's Superman. So now that that happened, Constantine already knows that next, those same aliens are going to have to deal with the remaining humans. But whether they win or die, they'll likely at least be able to get to a point of a standstill. Now, Constantine can reveal his endgame plot, which was the antimatter Quardians, who are, as he's talking killing all these worlds marco it's like when we played fortnite that one time where we just waited and and hid the entire time getting all the good gear while everyone else killed each other and then we won well well because like my um i I, like i don't remember there being parts where like let's say like raven dies or something right or like um like beast boy like like those people have powers are they just now like, like anybody that remaining that maybe would have survived are they just expelled they're dead no splash page kill them if all they, in the background. If they yeah. took part in this battle, they're dead. Like if you um the last last week or last time we did this, yeah. um I talked about how like it was death after death after death, but I didn't get into the granularity of who was dying because mm. a it's not narratively interesting for me to say it constantly, but sure. also more doesn't give details about all of the deaths. Okay. And I should also point out that anytime I said like Hal Jordan, for example, or Zatanna those were not in Moore's uh, version. Those are, he leaves it as like someone says. And I thought that narratively that was not interesting. The story is told. That wouldn't be the case. Zatanna was chosen because she's a former flame of, um, of, uh, 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 sure, of sure, Constantine. Yeah, yeah. And I chose Hal Jordan just because he's the primary green Lantern. So those were me just in case that affects your viewing. That's me. Oh, it, it, it almost feels like, this is a proto Watchmen in a way. Like I can see the world existing after the fact of all this being a very post superhero world, and that's Moore's favorite playground. Yeah. Um. So this is the creation of that post post modern superhero take for the DC universe. It even it even writes away aliens. It's like, hey, they don't exist anymore. So as far as we're concerned, right. You know? Exactly. It's just Earth. It's just people. It's mm-hmm. Tarzan. You know. <laughs> it's tar- yeah, it's yeah. Tarzan, <laughs> Doc Savage and the Shadow. Yeah. Um, and then also uh to answer 
top lanes question, anti-monitor, again, that was me. Because the Quardians come, because he's from the anti-matter universe and has led the Quardians at that same time frame, I extrapolated to add flavor and included the anti-monitor. But in the actual text, it's a it's a generic force of Quardians. Oh. I just didn't think that was as interesting. That's good stuff, dude. Thank you. We're not done with Twilight of the Superheroes because we've got one more presentation to go. And this is the one that I think people have had a lot of questions about that we haven't been able to get to, which is the real life aspect of all this. So next week, we're going to talk about why this never actually came to be. How it actually almost came to be anyway, and where. Which major comic book reporter had a lot to do with this story and almost made it possible to get this published. Ben Yurick. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, reporter oh, of comic book. Got, okay. Uh, little hint. That individual may have written a story about us this week. Uh, okay. His name rhymes with Itch Andrew Johnson. Oh, God. <laughs> so we do have more to go. I want to we... answer it. Go ahead. Are we going to get to like Alan Moore's, like, uh, uh, how this affected him as well? This not being made? I guess we don't really know much about that because he doesn't talk, but. Alan Moore had a relationship with a certain journalist that allowed for got things it, like it. that. Okay, so we will definitely be diving into that's that. Where, that's where the juice is for me. Huh? And any questions that you might have. There are things that I know about this story that just didn't come up for whatever reason. So if you're wondering about a particular character, I might be able to answer that. Or just whatever we don't get to. If you have questions, write in. I have a backlog of questions that I couldn't answer for the sake of keeping everything you know, narrative. So that's what we're going to do. We'll blow it all out next week. I I want the biopic, the Alan Moore biopic. That's like like it's like, it's like air for Alan Moore. Uh that new Jordan's movie that just came out. That could be cool oh. actually. Hell yeah. yeah. I would like that. Who would play more? Um I want to end this conversation with a fact Ooh. about Alan Moore that I bet most people don't know. And that is that Alan Moore has on two occasions in his life met John Constantine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know this one. Did he meet Sting? Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. He met John Constantine. Wait, what? Okay. So in wants to know what, 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 what he took so that he can go find that Coachella later. <laughs> In 1993, Alan Moore did an interview with Wizard Magazine, that old thing. And he said that he met John Constantine two times. Now, these are the words of Alan Moore. One day, I was in Westminster in London. This was after we had introduced the character, and I was sitting in a sandwich bar. All of a sudden, up the stairs came John Constantine. He was wearing the trench coat, a shortcut. He looked, no, he didn't even look exactly like Sting. He looked exactly like John Constantine. He looked at me, stared me straight in the eyes, smiled, nodded, almost conspiratorially, and then just walked off around the corner to the other part of the snack bar. 
I sat there and thought, should I go around that corner and see if he's really there, or should I just eat my sandwich and leave? I opted for the latter. I thought it was the safest. I'm not making any claims to anything. I'm just saying it happened. Strange little story. His second meeting with his creation was, okay, well, this <laughs> doesn't he meet him in the book at one point? Yeah, yeah. He, meets, he meets him in the book, and then years later, in another place, this is him physically actually meeting um, uh, uh, Constantine. Years later, in another place, he steps out of the dark and speaks to me. He whispers, I'll tell you the ultimate secret of magic. And I don't want to say this word on the show, but I'm sure you'll understand what I mean. Any C word could do it. Chat. <laughs> Got it. I know yeah. how the Brits talk. Yeah. You're we're monetized now. We can't be. <laughs> yeah. No, I can't do that. Yeah. Sylv's got it. That's Sylv's got still, it on Twitch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. <laughs> <laughs> That's a RuPaulism. That's not me. Serving that. Yeah. Serving that. That's funny. Thank you guys. Oh, go ahead, Kale. Sorry. I was I was gonna say it's uh it's Kale, really, I want to go home. Those, Come uh, on. And right. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead, Kale. Okay, no, I'm done. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate everybody that listened through this very long episode. We had a lot to do. We cut a lot, too. So we've got content, uh, things to talk about for next week as well. If you want to support the show, if you enjoyed what we did here today, if you want to get more from us, um, things that are not available to the uh, to the YouTube or, tw- or Twitch or podcast spaces, go to patreon.com slash thecomicspals, where for as little as $3 a month, you can get access to our newsletter. And uh, a whole lot more is available over there as well. We've got a totally exclusive show called Palling Around over there. You can vote in our book clubs. You get your name recognized and shouted out here on the show, as you heard at the top. Uh, So a lot of value and benefit coming from our Patreon page. And frankly, it's the best way to allow us to continue to do these things and to take things to even greater heights. So if you want to be a part of, you know, the foundation of the Comics Pals and you know, really integrate yourself into our community. That's a great way to do that. Another great way to do that is to join our Discord server and come hang out with us over there. Um, we have a lot of people joining lately. A lot of people joining lately. Yeah. A lot of the the names that you see in the live chat, a lot of the people whose names we mention on the show as consistent commenters are, are generally in our Discord server. So come be a part of that. Join the Palace community in that way as well. If you want to watch this show live, it's every Saturday at 10, 15 a.m. Eastern. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern for Pals Pulls. You can vote for which book we should be talking about on Pals Pulls in the listener poll, which is up right now. No matter when you were listening to this, unless it's after Wednesday, it's up. So give that uh, give that a look. Give it a vote. For everything else, at the Comics Pals all over the place. Kale, plugs. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Comics Pals, episode 339. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. You can find my work at KLWARD.com. That's C-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. Guys, the Pokemon bubble has popped. What? I, th- I think I've burned out. Oh, I don't okay. think I can do it anymore, finally. <laughs> Only took how many years? Oh, I'll come back. Oh, sure. I'll come sure. back. I oh, you mean you, st- you stopped playing for now? Yeah, yeah. I gotcha, just need gotcha, a break. Gotcha. 
uh, uh, you can oh. the the Mega Man Battle Network collection yeah, comes out mentioned. today. I got uh, it. Yesterday. Came out yesterday. It came out yesterday. Okay, yeah, I'm really? that behind then. Never played that. Oh, Sean, that's so good. Yeah, as a Mega Man fan, I think you'd enjoy it. Mega Man, you're fan, probably right. I am obsessed with Mega Man, and it's and not it has like it's a, not the a, same system though. But it does have like a like a, a card game sort of feel to it, yeah. like Chain of Memories. Yeah. The the chip like like the chip usage. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't Big know what reference that is. Love that series. Great stuff. The Game Boy Kingdom Hearts reference. <clears throat> hey, two two new people just joined our Discord server while we're live, so that's really awesome. Thank you, uh, Legatus yeah. Vaith and uh, Vili for joining. I'm not sure who Vili is. From uh, the, one uh, half of uh, Manili. <laughs> I can't I can't be mad. I can't I can't be mad at that. That's good. All right. You win. Uh Marco plugs. You can follow me at Mr. Marco Inamoto on Instagram and Twitter. Um I'm at Coachella this weekend. So if you're following me, you will see lots of music. Um and part we of hope. my we hope. Well, part of my newsletter uh will also be covering I think most of it actually will be covering uh just like stuff, my opinion of it, because um gonna be one of the first like larger music fests that I've been to. So just curious to uh, like put my thoughts out on it. Awesome. Uh, you guys can stream Coachella on YouTube. It's, they they pretty much stream everything in really high quality. Yeah, all it's, the stages. I, yeah. I saw um, Kim Petrus, Becky G, and uh, and uh, Danny Elfman last year. Very good quality on YouTube. Danny Elfman? One of the best sets I've ever seen. Insane. He did Oingo okay. Boingo and live scores shirtless. It was oh, fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Like he would get into, he would go into like the Spider Man theme and then straight into an Oingo Boingo song, and then he would sing Nightmare Before Christmas. It was wild. Yeah. Yo, I'm so cool. That up. Damn, yeah. it's like a good half hour set, like too. So, yeah, good stuff. Tyler, what are you plugging? Eh, I got nothing. See Tyler also on Instagram and Twitter. Come hang out. Come talk. Fair enough. I'm on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to chat about wrestling, which has been very interesting. These are the days Ooh. that I wish I had a podcast called The Wrestling Pals as well. So uh, hit me up to talk about that or video games or whatever whatever your bag is. Sean, Thank you so much for making this your bag as well. We appreciate you. We will see you next week. Until then, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week.